Hello and welcome to the Plastic Scousers podcast. I'm Matt Simpson and this is my co-host Owen Collins. Yes, thank you, Matt. And as regular listeners will know, uh, I was once uh, I once won. Um, I was once I did um, um, there was this time. Matt, how are you? Uh, yeah, um, fine. Mm. In this month's podcast, we uh, talk about some football. I guess. Uh, and um, there's some more LFC A to Z, which I guess, yeah. Um, anything, anything else, Owen? Yeah, um, A to Z. That's um, gonna be good. Um, uh, you were gonna talk about um, video games, I think. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, that 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 might be alright actually. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to it actually. Uh, I, I was gonna read a poem I wrote. If you know, don't have to, but if, if you want. That that'd be not yeah that'd be nice actually that'd be yeah that'd be nice yeah shall we shall we um <sighs> quickly we start quickly we... yeah, yeah I mean first game of the month was Sunderland away coming off the back of let's face it a fairly successful 2016 um a successful ending anyway um we uh we just beaten Man City uh 48 hours before. Uh, we hadn't really changed our team. Um, what happened? Well, um, hang on, let me have a glass of beer. What well, I think. Um, I'm drinking this really nice beer at the moment, Matt. Are you? Yeah, it's called um, Curious Brew. I got okay. it from I got it from Waitrose earlier. Okay, Curious Brew. I mean, who makes that? Uh, as far as I can work out, they're their own brand, but it's actually produced by the chapel down. Uh, winery in Tenterden Vineyard in Kent. Oh, um, Kent. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a beer, but it's halfway through they put like uh, champagne yeast in and yeah. like re-ferment it like it's got sort of like champagne like DNA. Notes. Notes. Yeah, Notes. and then they give it a. I'll read it off the back. It's um, it's then re-pitched with champagne yeast and finally given a dosage of rare and fragrant Nelson Sauvan hop. No taste of corporate cardboard, no whiff of market research, just modern lager beer made to refreshing delight. The big thing is, does it does it do that though? Does that refreshing delight you? I'll be honest, it refreshes, but it doesn't really delight. Hmm? How come? It's it's a bit watery if I'm honest. What strength is it? Four point seven. Well that's normal. That's a normal strength lager, isn't it? Yeah. I mean it was cheap, so I don't mind too much. <laughs> it's just I just thought it might have a bit more wash from this it's a bit of a metaphor for the month really is yeah i mean champagne notes you'd expect you'd expect you know high quality based on high recommendation i suppose well exactly i, I was expecting you know something high quality 
something that I might be able to feel like celebrating and you know that I haven't really had for quite a long time yeah um, and also in terms of a beer I was expecting it to taste slightly of champagne yeah I mean I would so would I I mean you buy those beers like um have you had um banana bread beer before yeah I like that that's nice that it, is. it doesn't taste of banana bread at all it does taste slightly of bananas but not banana bread no which is a very subtle difference Mm. And it makes you wonder why they decided to call it banana bread beer rather than just banana beer, really, isn't it? I mean, maybe you'd have been put off. Maybe you might be... Because you know that you can get, like, strawberry beer and raspberry mm. beer, and they're, like, they're proper fruit beers. But this is more like a beer with a hint of banana, so... But, I did actually have a bottle of raspberry beer at the weekend. Oh, did you? Yeah, Sam Smith's, or Samuel Smith's. Uh, it's, a, it's the brother of the guy who set up John Smith's Brewery, mm. actually. Oh, Sam, it's quite popular about where I am. Where were you... What Sam Smith's were you at? Oh, well, it wasn't at Sam Smith's pub. It was a, um, it was an art centre in Leeds, actually. Oh, and they were serving Sam Smith's there? Yeah, they were serving lots of different beer, but I thought I'd heard a lot about Sam Smith's raspberry beer. I'd, I'd give it a try, because I've had their lagers before, because mm. they've got quite a few pubs in central London, haven't they? Yeah, I was going to say, they've got some really interesting pubs, like the uh, Princess Louise, which has all the doors I think we've been to. Um, <clears throat> there's the Cheshire Cheese in Fleet Street. We've been there. It's the one, the 16th century one. I've not. I don't think I've been there. Right. That's that. Next time you come down, that's one of our plans for sure. Yeah, I've, I've wanted to go there a while. My my ex, not wishing to, you know, depress us, because I know it's difficult this month. But um, yeah, my ex girlfriend was going to take me there, but never did. Well, we'll go next time you're in London. We'll go because it's it's like drinking in a museum. Uh, yeah, it's it's where a lot of poets used to drink as well. Charles, Charles Dickens. Um, it was his favourite watering hole. Yeah. It's, you know, look what happened to him. I know. And to be fair, they've not actually changed the decor since, which is quite remarkable. There's a lot of pubs in Whitney like that. <laughs> but that's <laughs> more more out of sight than, you know, trying to do that, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I do, to be fair, though, I tell you what I've been drinking quite a lot recently, is something called Piston Head. Do you know Piston Head? Oh, is that with a skull on? comes in with little cans. For some reason, it's mega, mega popular at the moment, sort of. Mm. There's a pub um, round the corner from where I work where we'll go on a Friday lunchtime and have a pint. Don't, I hope my bosses aren't listening, but uh, <laughs> every Friday every Friday we basically go and have a drink. I always have a Piston Head, because I, I like it. It's a, nice, it's, a nice, it's a nice drink. Yeah, they do a couple of different varieties, I think, don't they? I remember having a Piston Head Amber Lager in November. Yeah, I think I think they did. I tell you what, I, the first time I had it was actually at something called Junkyard Golf. Junkyard Golf. Tell me about that. What's Jun- that? Junkyard Golf. So it's basically sort of crazy golf, but like because it's hipster and cool. Um, mm. It's it's cool. sort of underground in this sort of warehouse in Shoreditch, because um, of course it is. And you basically you go in and you've got like neon balls and neon um, like neon putters and all of yeah, the. Right. All the setup is like sort of junk lying around, um, shaped into sort of courses. Um, it's really good fun, and you obviously you mm. can have some pints and things. And they were serving piston head there, so. Ah, oh, can we go there next time I'm up? Yeah, that absolutely. absolutely. You I'd... tend to go in a big group of you, but we'll, we'll get some people together, or we'll try and latch onto another yeah. group. I do love crazy golf. I um. Yeah, I uh, I, I. I once played at Wookie Hole. Uh, and I ended up climbing into the little lake next to the pirate ship to uh, try and hit my ball out. Well, I can promise you there won't be any lakes in underground junkyard golf. No, it's probably a good idea. So, um, well, that's the, uh, that's, that's the Sunderland game. Yeah, we could see the two penalties, and Marley scored before he left. Um, we only made one change 48 hours uh, after the City game, and uh, yeah, it was a 2-2 draw. Oh, yeah, yeah, we should probably save the score. 
Yeah. Um, who was next? Who was FA Cup next? Wasn't it? it was, yeah. Um, we were at home um, in what seemed like a good tie against Plymouth, Plymouth Argyle. Um, yeah. Because I mean, they'd beaten Newport in the replay, hadn't they? And you'd wanted to play Newport, hadn't you? I really wanted Newport, yeah. So, um, yeah, and I, I, I do like a good third round FA Cup tie. It's always something to to look forward to. And actually, Plymouth, we hadn't played for quite a few years. Um, it's funny, though, because the last time I was in Plymouth, actually, I, I was there with my parents, and I was, like, maybe 14, 15. So it's quite, you know, a good 10 years ago now. Um, I ended up having one of the best sandwiches I've ever eaten in my entire life there. Oh, really? Yeah, it was, this, was, it? It was this kind of sort of... Like, I don't want to compare it to Subway, but it was like a sort of sub, basically. Uh, melted toasted cheese. So it was two types of cheese. Um, Italian ham, prosciutto, or um, one of those. I, I'm not, you know, to my shamed ignorance, I can't remember which one it was. Um, salami. Mm. Um, a layer of sort of brioche-style tomatoes, uh, sun-dried tomatoes. Um, pesto. And then, like, a thin layer of some sort of crust. And then another layer, oh. and then, and then Ooh, a sub wow. over the top. Um, and it was absolutely amazing. That just sounded a delicious sandwich. It was. It was kind of like this, you know, big Italian meat feast, sort of like a cross between like a, a tomato mozzarella and then a sort of three ham, you know, Italian ham t- sub, sub, basically. Mm. It was, oh my God. And I remember just seeing, like, I just thought to myself, this is like, you know, I, because I don't live in Plymouth, I'm never going to get to have this experience again. Yeah. Well, you know, you could always go back to Plymouth, like. I hope that's yeah, still, still open. You might have a really kind of disappointing experience where Plymouth come to you and you don't think you'll be going back to Plymouth, but then something terrible happens and you end up having to visit Plymouth when you weren't really planning on it. Well, this is it, exactly right. Um, I, had, I did have a friend who used to live in Plymouth. I think she went to uni there. Um, sadly, I never went over to meet her, so um, I missed out. But as I say, yeah, you know. I, 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 had, I had it the other way around. I had friends at our uni who were from Plymouth. Yeah. But I never, I never went to visit them. No, or I never even. Yeah, there's a lot of things I never did with them that I would have quite liked to. Yeah. But um, yeah. But one thing we did do was we went. We do you remember that playground at the end of um? What was the road you lived on in your third year? Oh, um, yeah, the one outside the back gate of uh, back gate of the university. Yeah, yeah, the playground at the end of that road. Yeah, right by the um, oh. in the park area. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I once sat on the swings with her at about five o'clock in the morning playing the ukulele. <laughs> yeah, that, it was a really nice moment. That sounds like a university story. Yeah, and then uh, I think it was early that night. Um, we went back to her flat and she showed me a dildo. Right. It wasn't really hers, really. It was sort of a kind of communal one that one of her flatmates had come up with, but they all kind of claimed joint ownership. A bit like you do with Antarctica, you know? Um, and, yeah, I wasn't really sure what to make of that, which is... So I drank a glass of wine, ate a lot of pasta, and said, should we go sit in a park and play the ukulele? It seemed a more palatable alternative. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not 100% sure what I'm supposed to say to that. I was going to ask you what your favourite sandwich is, actually. Have you ever had a particularly great sandwich experience? Yeah, you know what? I've had many a time where I've had a really good sandwich, and I thought, this is an amazing sandwich. But if if pressed on the best, I, I would really struggle. Um, mm. Just name one of those amazing like, sandwiches you've had. Well, I had a really nice one, uh, actually only on Monday, in a little coffee shop in, in the town where I live. But it wasn't without its flaws, Matt, because it was a 
It was a mozzarella, tomato, and pe- um, basil pesto and rocket sandwich. But the bread they used, well, being very nice bread, it was that kind of you know the loaf when it's like it's quite porous. Mm. And so it was almost like cratered on one side. It looked fine on one side, but if you turned it over, it was um, like it was really uh, like almost like there wasn't any bread there. So you had whole kind of swathes of the actual surface of the sandwich where your fingers went straight straight through into the mozzarella. And it was quite greasy. Yeah. So it was nice, but I wouldn't say it was the best sandwich I've had. You found it was, I, um, you found it was conceding quite a lot of the filling, uh, meaning you couldn't enjoy it like you hoped you would. Well, yeah, there were there were certain portions of one side of a sandwich that were basically, you know, open faced. There wasn't there wasn't a second slice of bread there. Quite literally uh, falling was, apart. Mm. Oh. I tell I tell you some good sandwiches I've had. Um, my they're not like professionally made, but when we used to go on holiday as a family, me and my two brothers and my mum and dad, uh, if my granny wasn't coming with us, then she'd make us loads of food for the journey. And she'd make all these sandwiches and wrap them up like in tin foil, and they were huge like breeze blocks of tin foil wrapped sandwich. And we'd get to a motorway service station, normally on I don't know the M1 or the M5 or six, I think it is, going up to, going up towards Yorkshire, which was where we seemed to spend most of our family holidays when I was a kid. And we'd stop at a service station, possibly uh, it might have been Leicester Forest East or maybe Keel. Um, and we'd kind of get out and go and do a wee and, you know, look in the shop, even though none of us ever bought anything. Actually, no, some bought 442. And then we'd go and sit in the car and we'd we'd get to unwrap our sandwiches. And it was a really exciting moment. And, uh, I don't know what it was she made them with, whether it was the, the particular bread or the filling or just the love. I'll say it, the love. They were made with love. But um, uh, often it was corned beef, actually. Corned beef or spam. Mm. Um just white bread, spam, lots of butter, tin foil, and you'd unwrap them there in the back seat of your car, and they were some of the happiest sandwiches I've ever had. I think actually, I love I love those stories. I mean, I'm not a big fan of spam personally, but um, no, but you know, you've still... met my granny, though. You can imagine her making a lot of sandwiches, can't you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's you know, that would be great. Anyway, um. The Plymouth game ended up nil-nil. Uh, Joe Gomez came back, which was great to see after uh, a, over a year out. Yeah, it was actually uh, it was also our youngest ever starting lineup in um, Liverpool history in almost 125 years. Um, yeah, an average age of 21 years and 296 days, which um, which quite easily beat the previous record of uh, 22 years and 83 days, um, which was set uh, against Wolves in April 1965, which was when we had the FA Cup final. Um, just the next week, which was actually the first FA Cup we ever won. Um, and I, if you just permit me to uh, read you a team sheet from that day, Matt, just because I think for some of these players it might be the first and only time they ever get mentioned, not just on our podcast, but on any podcast ever. So um, you're on them. That that day um, was uh, Billy Molyneux, Thomas Lowry, uh, Ronnie Moran. Uh, Alan Hignett, Phil Ferns, Jeff Strong, Bobby Graham, John Seeley, Phil Chisnell, Alf Arrowsmith and Gordon Wallace. And uh, that was actually the, the Liverpool debut of Alan Hignett, Thomas Lowry, Billy Molyneux and John Seeley. Um, John Seeley even scored. So, um, yeah, well done him. There we go. Um, and with 0-0, we were forced to a replay. 
and yeah, so- um, but hey, it's not like we were shook. We were, you know, inundated with games. No. In January, uh, who was next? It was Southampton, wasn't it? Indeed, we go back to what, I, what is now becoming a regular place of ours um, in, in Southampton away uh, in the League Cup semi-final first leg. Yeah, which you could also argue was a um, is a regular place of ours. Uh, this is the third season in a row we've uh, we've reached the semi-finals of a League Cup, um, which is which is quite impressive. Because um, it's just because it is the League Cup, or the the EFL Cup as it's referred to now. Because um, Capital One stopped sponsoring it. Um, we didn't actually win it when it was a Capital One Cup, which was a shame. Obviously, we got to the final. Um, so we won it when it was a Carling Cup in 2012. We won it when it was a Worthington Cup, and uh, before that the Coca-Cola Cup. And there was a time as well. Um, it was a Littlewoods Cup. Do you remember that? I do not know. Little, Littlewoods who did like the um, the catalogues. They're like a kind of department store. Oh, I remember Littlewoods. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because that was actually um, set up by I think the ancestors of David Moores, our former chairman. Well, I. I always associate it with um, with uh, the Littlewoods in in Queen Street in Oxford. Because whenever I used to go into Oxford as a kid with my mum, we'd we'd often go to Littlewoods and have breakfast there in the cafe. Even if it wasn't, even if we'd have breakfast at home, even if it was like the <laughs> afternoon, I'd like eat breakfast um, there, like for my meal. It was one of those you know trade service cafes, which I used to think were the coolest thing ever. And I'd always get like the kind of you know egg and sausage and beans and. And all that bit, bit of bacon. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember actually Littlewoods. Um, they used to be on the corner in Southampton City Centre. And as I say, you, you know, we used to go in there. My mum used to take me in there and things when I was a kid. Um, I don't know if there was a cafe actually. I don't think we ever we ever went in that. But I remember uh, the day. Uh, it went, I, I remember the day it went, and it was kind of a bit sad because I remember going in there quite a lot as a kid. And now it's a Poundland. So. Oh, that is sad. Mm. No, nothing against Poundland, but like, yeah, it's. So where where would you go for breakfast then? If you had like a breakfast out, if you didn't go to Littlewoods, where would you go? It's a weird one because I don't really I didn't really have breakfast out much. I mean, my mum doesn't really eat breakfast, so it was one of those things where we'd usually just have something at home and then we'd go out. We wouldn't really have like a proper breakfast out. My mum she doesn't mm. really like fry ups either. My dad does, but oh yeah. Um, so I never really yeah. grew up with that in the same way you must have done. Well, I mean, we, the funny thing is, I never, like, hardly ever as a kid had a fry-up at home for breakfast. It was always cereal and toast. Like, even now, like, to have a fry-up for actual breakfast is a real rarity. But um, I just remember going out a lot. If I was in a cafe, I would always have the breakfast option wherever I was. I, I remember um, particularly one night in, I, must, I would say 2003, uh, at my brother's suggestion, we went to the NIA in Birmingham to watch the uh, British Basketball League finals weekend, um, which was quite enjoyable. There was a player there called Randy Duck. <laughs> uh, which that's is, a great, um, That's a great name. Yeah, it is a great name. I think he played for um, the equally magnificently named, but for different reasons, basketball team uh, Brighton Phoenix Mitsubishi Rocks, <laughs> which is one hell of a name. That's um, but on the on the way back from that, we because um, that was in Birmingham, and we drove up there, and then on the way back we stopped at a, a little chef. Um, uh, it must have been about half past ten at night, and for me, just the idea of stopping and having dinner 
or eating in public that late was quite exciting. And then I ordered the big little chef breakfast at half past ten at night, and <laughs> they made it for me, despite it being like closer to breakfast the next day than that day. And it was, yeah, it was really, <laughs> that was a really happy memory, actually. I remember thinking, this is awesome. Like, I've had a good day, but it's just ended on the best note possible, because I mean, little chef on the A40 eating a massive breakfast. <laughs> like, way past my bedtime is it right is breakfast no is this is a serious philosophical question i know it's getting heavy but is breakfast the meal or the time for example in little chef at night i would say i had a breakfast because i had bacon and eggs and beans but it was half past 10 at night whereas if i had say if i ate a, a doner kebab but i ate at eight o'clock in the morning would that be breakfast see i think i think yes i think what you had at ten o'clock on a on a you know one I said uh, little chef is breakfast food, but it's not breakfast. Breakfast food is typically associated with breakfast, but you can have non-breakfast food for breakfast. So to be breakfast, it's got to be at some time in the in the morning. Yes, but there is food associated with breakfast, otherwise known as breakfast food. Hmm. The breakfast food, like yeah, okay. And the thing is about breakfast food is that it is very like it's you know there is an affair to sustain you forever. In that there's like your full English sort of breakfast food, your grease, your bacon, your meat, your eggs, your beans, all of that hash brown. There's a kind of continental approach to breakfast food, which involves you know cheeses and and bread and and occasionally yogurt. And then there's like a sort of things like cereal and and toast and fruit. Uh, really, I mean, you've got all kind of major food groups there, really, haven't you? And don't forget, don't forget as well, tea, coffee, orange juice, and occasionally... Tea, coffee, orange juice. If you're at a nice restaurant, a glass of Prosecco in the morning as well. Oh, um, bloody hell, you go to nice restaurants, don't you? Glass happened, of Prosecco, it happened, for sure. It happened once, and I cannot tell you how excited I was. I did have a glass of Prosecco at breakfast time fairly recently, but not for breakfast. It was because I woke up and it was next to my bed from the night before, so I just kind of drank it. (laughs) But I don't don't think that's quite as civilised somehow. No, but either way, even that element is covered in breakfast. That's true, yeah. Breakfast can be all things to all men. But, um... Sadly, uh, I didn't get to. Sadly, I didn't get to really have that many breakfasts um, like that out as a kid, as we mentioned. Um, and in my hometown of Southampton, where we lost one nil and were lucky to only be one nil down. Yeah. Uh, should we move on? Let's move on back to the Premier League. Uh, mm. uh, Owen, what's our next game? It was uh, Man United away at Old Trafford at the. Um, yeah, uh, at Jose Mourinho's side. Uh, uh, again, we kind of caught them like we often do, sort of times. We caught them just when we're on a downer and racing to be coming back up again. And but um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Manchester is um, Manchester is one of those places that obviously we 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 can struggle at. You know, Old Trafford is a very difficult place. Uh, the Etihad can be a very difficult place. So we've had quite a lot of success there over the um over the last few years. In fact, it's funny because last year, um, as part of the podcast, I was actually in Manchester. Uh, for one of the recordings, if you remember correctly. Um, yeah, yeah, you were in a hotel room, weren't you? Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, I was, on a, I was working on a job at the time, and we ended up recording one of the hardest, probably the hardest podcasts we've had to record, because the incident there was appalling. Um, oh, God, yeah, that was a difficult night. Yeah, that was a difficult night. Um, but it's funny, because actually, I'd sort of realised that um, Manchester, obviously, being probably the second biggest city in England, I'd never actually been before then. Um, and I, oh, really? I remember thinking to myself, it's just one of those places. 
there are certain places I think that we just expect everyone to have at least been to once. You know, everyone's probably mm. been to London. Everyone's probably been to Edinburgh at some point. Everyone's probably been to Manchester. Everyone might have gone over the yeah. Channel to France at some point. But actually, we've all got those places that we've never actually been to. Countries, towns, cities, whatever. That that we we've got those. And we say actually, no, I've never done that. And I've never been there. I don't, you know what? Like that was Manchester for me until last year was one of those. Hmm. Yeah, that's. See, I went to Manchester a few years ago, so I'm wondering where the places that I should have been that I haven't been. Yeah, you know, like, I've never been... Um, I've been to most European countries, I'd say. Like, I've been to the major ones, Spain, mm. Portugal, France, Italy, Greece, I guess the holiday destinations. But before last... Yeah. Uh, before... Was it two years ago now? Oh, my God, it was two years ago. Before two years ago, I hadn't left Europe, ever. So... See, that's... Yeah, that's quite... I mean, I'd, I've only left Europe twice, ever. Um, and one of them was well they were six years apart I've never been to Africa I've never been to Africa um, no and I feel I'd like to I've never I'll tell you where I've never been but I feel I, sh- I should go actually mm-hmm. is Ireland no I've not been to Ireland either because um, I'm actually I've got a lot of Irish in me um, but I've never I've never been to either Northern Ireland or the Republic of Ireland um, no I've always I'd like to get Hmm. I'd like to go to both, in fact. Um, obviously, it's going to be a bit kind of tricky in the next couple of years, but it's, um, yeah, Dublin. I feel, because I've been to Edinburgh, and I've been to Cardiff for about half an hour, and I've been to London. Uh, so I've kind of been to three out of the kind of five major, you know, British Isles, you know, and Ireland capitals. So I feel I should visit Belfast. Hmm, 100%. No, I'm, mm. I'm the same, you know, I think I've been, I've, I've not been, as I, I hadn't thought about that actually, I've not been to Ireland, Republic, uh, Republic or Northern Ireland at all, I've been to Scotland, you know, I've been up to the highlands of Scotland, which I was very kind of excited about, also Ben Nevis and the, and the mountains up there, it's one of the most extraordinarily beautiful oh, that, places in the world. Nice. Mm. Um, but uh, have, have you ever been I, up there, um, by the way? I've not been as far as the highlands, no, I think the first up Scotland I've been is Dundee. Uh, which is obviously still quite southern compared to the Highlands. <laughs> um, I mean, Dundee's nice. Uh, they've got a very good museum about Antarctica, which is weirdly the second time I've mentioned Antarctica tonight. Um, <laughs> and they've got some big bridges and a good little record shop. Yeah. But um, no, what's the, would you recommend a trip to the Highlands? 100%. It's beautiful. Hire a car. Don't you know? Don't don't try and get there on public transport. Certainly, you need to drive there. Yeah. Okay, I'll do that. Um, um, is there anywhere else you've ever wanted to go? Oh, there's lots of places. Uh, are we talking just in this country or generally? Oh, any, anywhere. Particularly places that you kind of think everyone says they've been to and you haven't. Um, well, I've, I've, I mean, I've been quite lucky. I've been to a lot of places. Um, uh, let me think. Um, I can give you a couple of mine off the bat. Um, I've never actually crossed American... I've never crossed into proper American territory, ever. You know, I flew. Have you not? See, I, I. Go on, sorry. I flew through America to um to Panama when I went there. Um, but literally mm. all I saw was Atlanta Airport, and I mean that's not exactly a great representation of America. No, it's not. I, I've heard it's quite a, a busy airport actually. Mm. Yeah, it really is. See, I, I went to New York once. Um, I think in terms of a major capital, because I know it's like not off the beaten track or anything like that, but. 
Um, I've I've done Paris and Berlin and Rome and London and New well no New York's not capital is it? Um, Amsterdam, but uh, I feel Prague actually. I feel I'd like to go to Prague. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one people mention a lot as a kind of for city breaks and that, but I've never actually uh, gone to. Or Portugal. That's interesting, you haven't been to Portugal before. No, given how close it is to, um, given how close it is really, because it's on our side of, uh, our side of Europe, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's um, one, probably one of the closest countries to us. Um, but yeah, I've been, been to Portugal. It's funny, actually, you mentioned Amsterdam. I've not been to Amsterdam or Holland, um, and I, sh- I would like to go at some point. Um, and actually, I'd like mm. to go to Russia as well. I'd like to go to Moscow and St. Petersburg. Ah, uh, see, I've been, I've been to Moscow. In fact, I was in Moscow seven years ago this week, at the time of recording. That's mad. Hmm. Um, it was fantastic. It was a school history trip, and everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Uh, we lost our luggage. Uh, we <laughs> lost a couple of students at one point. Ah, uh, like... Um, people almost got uh, sexually assaulted on the sleeper train oh, uh, at one point our hotel caught fire <laughs> um, genu- genuinely um, it was it was one of the best weeks of my life and I have n- I nothing but fond memories of it the whole time it was it was wonderful I met some because fant- it was three local secondary schools all going on one trip like together and so I met some wonderful people I'd not met before Um some of whom I'm still in kind of occasional contact with now. Um, it was it was just a really nice, really nice week. Oh, bloody good. freezing. Yeah. Speaking of bloody freezing, um, being away in Manchester, um, we actually put on a half decent performance um, uh, with Trin- Trent Alexander Arnold starting it right back. We were unlucky to concede so late. Yeah, it was. Um... What time was it we even conceded? I can't even think. It was the 87th minute with uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, um, which was a shame. That was it. Yeah, it was a shame. Uh, let's say no more about it, in fact. Yeah, let's not. Let's um, let's move on to our next game uh, as we return to the um, to the FA Cup tie and our replay, this time in uh, the sandwich capital of the UK, Plymouth Argyle. Yeah, yeah. Um... And this is a strange one. It was a Wednesday night, and I think we both discussed what we thought the team would be, and we said we thought it would be stronger than the, the home tie because uh, there was a fair bit of criticism that Klopp's kind of youngsters hadn't been able to uh, hadn't been able to break down a League Two side. But actually, he, he kept his faith in them. Um, if anything, they got even younger. If you look at the bench, it was Connor Randall um, involved again. Uh, Shea Yojo, Harry Wilson uh, named in a match day squad for the very first time um, a full three and a half years after he made his international debut for Wales um, uh, Jordan Williams who I, think, I don't think he'd featured in a first team squad since uh, the game against Besiktas in 2015 uh, so he uh, I think we both have kind of mixed feelings about that one and um, Paulo Alves who neither of us had really taken much notice of before uh if i'm right in thinking would you agree with that Matt? yeah no i had no idea who he was yeah uh well i can tell you he was actually born on christmas day um in uh, 1997 um so he's yet another member of our squad that never shared an earth with um diana princess of wales i don't really know why i use that as a kind of reference <laughs> point, but um and he's from portugal um 
And he's the first Portuguese person to be named in our squad since Thiago Alori in the FA Cup last season. Um, and I don't... I just... I mean, can you think of any other Portuguese people? I don't mean that have been featured in Liverpool squad, but just in terms of Portuguese people. Like, can you think of any off the top of your head? What, like famous Portuguese people? Don't have to be famous, just have you... Like, did you ever have any friends at school who were Portuguese? Well, my first thought, if you talk of football, there's obviously the Jose Mourinho thing. Raul Morales was Portuguese, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was Portuguese. Um, But in terms of actually knowing Portuguese people, yes, I do, actually. A good friend of mine's Portuguese. I suddenly remembered, that's quite embarrassing. (laughs) Um, Oh, have I? I think I've met him, haven't I? Uh, yeah, you have, actually. You met him at my yeah. birthday party. I can't remember his name, but then he's not my friend. You forgot he existed, so that's, yeah. that's worse for you. Yeah. No, his name's Pedro. He's a good guy. Pedro, that's it. Yeah, how is he doing? He's good. He's um he's coming over, I think, in May, because we're going to go see Iron Maiden at the O2. Oh, nice one. Can I, I just want to, you know, give, give Pedro some credit here to the listeners. Uh, for Matt's birthday in December, uh, we had a bit of a party at Matt's, and Pedro actually flew over... From Portugal, especially. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely true. I mean, that guy is... He's a keeper, he's, you know what I mean? He's a champion, he really is. Good lad. And, um, yes, yeah, see, I've never known anyone Portuguese well enough for either of us to fly across borders to see the other for their no. birthday. I wasn't planning to fly over his birthday, although I might, I might now have to. Hmm. I think you should. Hmm, probably will. When is his birthday? I have no idea. See, that's probably what you should find out first. Yes, true. Because, <laughs> you know, he's good enough friends with you to actually get his passport out for yours. You don't even know when his is. No, I, no, no the more you say it, the worse I feel. I'm saying, yeah, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just, because <laughs> I don't need to do that this month. It's been January for Liverpool, you know. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, I bet, I bet look into that. I knew a Portuguese person at school... It was weird, because I thought she was Portuguese right through from year 7 to year 12, and she was really annoying. And it turned out she was German. <laughs> what? That took me a second, and I suddenly went, oh, hang on, what? So- she she wouldn't stop going on about how Portuguese she was. Like, she was Portuguese, and she supported Portugal, and, you know, she was always talking about Portugal, and whenever we got asked to give an example of a foreign country, she would talk about Portugal. And then we did uh, German AS level together, and there were only about seven of us in the class, so I actually got to know her quite well, and we got on all right. She was quite annoying still, but we kind of formed a reluctant friendship, and I went around her house, because she did the German exchange, and I did the German exchange, and so she had a German exchange partner come over, so we kind of did a lot of stuff together then, so they had someone to speak to. And it turned out, yeah, she was German. Um, I mean, she maybe was, was a bit Portuguese, but all of a sudden she just became predominantly German. And all her family were German, and she spoke quite good German, and was always talking about Germany. So I don't know what happened there. It's a bit, a bit like Emre Chan, but with, but with Portugal instead of Turkey. I was going to say, is it like a half and half thing where he's got, a, you know? Well, I thought she was entirely Portuguese, but clearly, yeah, maybe she was half and half. She's married now, and I see her every now and then. What around town? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we're not really in touch anymore. But I gather she's still whatever she was before, whether it was Portuguese or German. I mean, you'd expect. I mean, you don't. You don't tend to change your nationality by birth, so. No, but she might have got citizenship on account of being married. But I don't think she has. <laughs> Just looking for looking to get the uh, tax breaks. Yeah, and I think she might have fallen in love with her husband, but that might have been coincidence. Mm. Well, you know, I'm not. I, I'm not one to judge. No, me neither. So yeah, it's quite interesting. Both those Portuguese people. Mm. Um. Anyway, the, the, about uh, this game, we have actually something. Uh, exciting to talk about in that um 
I don't know how else to say this, Owen, but Lucas Leiva scored a goal for Liverpool. Hmm. Not only that, Matt, but Lucas Leiva scored a winner for Liverpool. Very true. Um. It does. I, I don't know what to say about it. No, but really, it is, but it's brilliant. It's brilliant, but it's also a pretty depressing state of affairs when you're relying on Lucas Leiva to score the winning goal against a League Two team to get you through. Mm, well, this is it, isn't it? It's very true. I mean, it, it, it's a good header from a corner from Coutinho. Um, mm. But it does, as you say, it saved ourselves embarrassment of being knocked out. Uh, and the only other thing, really, is that Harry Wilson got on the pitch. Yeah, he did. Um, finally made his debut. Number uh, 57? 59. 59. Yeah, 57 was, 57 was Joe Maguire, who actually left us in January. He did, yeah. Bye, Joe. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, good luck, mate. Um, but yeah, no. Nice, nice guy, nice guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, Harry, Harry Wilson almost scored, actually, because he chased down the goalkeeper who kicked it against him and nearly went in. But um, yeah, so um, we went through in the FA Cup. Mm. Um, and Owen, what's our, what's our next game? Our next game was... Um was home, Anfield, where we hadn't lost since January 2016 uh, against Swansea City, who I think were bottom of the table at the time. Uh, just appointed a new manager in Paul Clement. Um, how much do you want to say about this one, Matt? Well, I can tell you something interesting about Swansea, actually. Um, yeah? Because um, we were talking about places we've been. And hmm. I, um, um, for a job, I had to head out there to Bridge End, which obviously isn't too far away. It's only on the sort of... On the sort of in the Welsh coast, basically on the South Welsh mm. coast, and I had to hide over there on the train. Um, and then, you know how they always say it kind of, you know, it's rainy, damp Wales and the valleys and that kind of thing. And you kind of think, oh, it's just a bit of a, it's a bit of a joke. Well, the last time I went over there, it was like a couple of weeks, and I was sort of travelling back and forth between London and Bridgend. And um, I, got, I remember the last time I got over there, and I've never quite seen rain like it in this country. <laughs> it was bucketing it down, bucketing it down. Mm. We had to stand outside in the rain all day, having what was supposed to be a fun family day, which clearly none of those things happened because there was no fun, there was no family, <laughs> and quite frankly, the day was hell. Um, so, <laughs> so, so um, we, um, yeah, we stood there in the pouring rain, and I remember that it was the first time, so not, I'd been working in TV not that long by the time I was doing this job, and... I, I remember it was the first time I accidentally got on telly because at one point I had to go and get a cab to go and pick something up and then come back. And as I came back, they were filming a really important scene, um, but I didn't really realise. So the cab driver drove into the lot and suddenly I had people just ushering me and showing me away. And I didn't, well, obviously I realised what was going on, but then I, watched <laughs> the sh- then I watched the show back and there's me on that shot looking out the window, gormless and stupid, because <laughs> I had no idea what was happening. Can I can I find this anywhere online? You might be able to. I can't remember what the show was called now. Um, it was a supercar, um, supercar used car kind of comparison thing. Uh, it was on BBC Two. Uh, I mean, it's, it's only like a couple of seconds of me sat in the back of a cab, but it's still very funny. Um, I'll see if I can find it. But uh, yeah, it's it it, it it was it was the first time I've been on. I've been on. I've appeared in backs of shots a couple of times in various mm. programs, but that was the first time, and I remember thinking, "This is this is generally quite unprofessional and a bit stupid, but it's very funny." That does sound very funny. <laughs> you, you know, I love, I do. You know, I'm quite lucky because I have a job that does offer the occasionally quite exciting story. But have you got any um, funny or exciting stories from your previous jobs? Um, well, not none that have got me on telly. Um, I. I used to work at the National Theatre, which was quite a good 
No, I was only working in the cafe, but I got to meet some quite interesting people. Um, I once served Mark Gattis a hot dog. Mark, now who's Mark Gattis? That's embarrassing, isn't it? Uh, he's the co-writer of Sherlock. Oh, okay, yeah, no, no, no. He's Mycroft. Um, clearly that's not as much of a claim to fame as I thought it was. So, uh, <laughs> scraping for another one. Um, Sir Ben Kingsley once held a door open for me. Wow, there you go. That's quite cool. And Anne-Marie Duff didn't. No? Um, she kind of went through it and kind of let it swing close in my face. <laughs> and then turned around and hurriedly apologised. And I immediately did what I always swore I'd do if I ever met Anne-Marie Duff in person and got down on one knee and proposed there and then. That last bit sadly didn't happen, although it did actually genuinely cross my mind to go, honestly, don't worry about it, it's fine, it, it didn't really slam. By the way, you're beautiful, would you marry me? <laughs> um, it's funny because not long before that, someone I'd said, someone had said to me over the counter of a cafe, I in, you look a bit like James McAvoy, who was at the time her husband. <laughs> oh, no. So I reckon I could have mentioned that and said, Amory Duff, a lot of people actually tell me y- y- your husband and I share a lot of resemblances. Would you like to, you know, would you like to upgrade? <laughs> but um, but I, di- I didn't say that either. I just I just muttered something about the door. I, then, I should have at least, you know, kept the conversation going, but I didn't, and that was that. Um, no, that's quite sad in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah, the one that got away, Matt. The one that got away. Yeah, clearly. Hmm. Deary me. Um, but you've worked at the... Like, have worked, there must be some fun stories working at the National Theatre. That's an exciting thing to do. Well, I just gave you two of them. I know, I'm just saying, like, you, you know, you, you put down <laughs> you put down yourself as if you don't have any stories, but you've clearly got to have some... You know, you've got to have... You know. Yeah, oh, I... Um, you don't I denigrate w- your opinion on it. I once gate-crashed the uh, retirement party of the outgoing artistic director of the National Theatre and started doing a sprinkler dance on a balcony... Um, for all of about 10 seconds and then someone noticed us and we had to hurriedly flee that was quite exciting that's quite exciting uh and i oh i met ian hislop he was nice that's cool i'd love to be in Hislop. he i was working at a cloakroom at a gala event they were having um and he came in and uh kind of gave me his um coat and hat and um, before I could get, give him his like cloakroom ticket, he was off mingling with the crowds and had to chase after him halfway through a room, um, and say, "Sir, excuse me, Mr. Hislop, sir, I need to give you this." And he said, "Oh, sorry, thank you very much. Yes. Oh, did I give you my hat? What happened to my hat? Did I give you my hat?" I said, "Don't worry, sir. We've got your hat. Your hat is safe. We have got your hat." He said, "Thank you. I like that hat. I'm always losing my hat." Uh, and I said, "Don't worry." We've got the hat, and then I let him mingle. And I had to do a similar thing to Patricia Hodge, who plays Miranda's mum in Miranda. Uh, but she was less grateful and much more pissed. <laughs> oh, dear. Which I gather is her character generally. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Well, it's method acting, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Honed over years, decades. That's cool, though. That's a cool, that's a cool, that's a cool stone. I like that. Um... But that's only really the only job I've got that gives me good stories. All the other ones tend to be like dry cleaners and warehouses. Yeah, and you packing boxes or whatever it was. Yeah, and getting fired because I wasn't good enough at packing boxes. 
That was, that was a low point on my CV. Yeah, <laughs> you, you can cross that out. It's fine. Yeah. Left by mutual mutual um, mutual agreement over it is. Talking of low points, um, Swansea City game didn't go well, did it? Yeah, we lost three two. Um, Firmino did score twice and generally played like like the only player who actually played with any common decency. But yeah, we lost, we lost the bottom of the table, Swansea at home. But there we there's go. No, there's nothing else you can say to that. Nope. So we move on to uh, the re the second leg of the League Cup. Um, and we are one nil down, going to a second leg at home to Southampton. Yeah, this was actually the third time we've come up against manager Claude Puel. Um, um, up to up until this game, um, we had never actually beaten him. Um, and in fact, uh, coming out of this game, we still hadn't. Uh, we uh, we ended up losing this. Basically, we played bloody terribly again. I would say um, lost one nil again. Shane Long scored in the ninetieth minute. There wasn't even many interesting team selections. Um, that we can talk about. Trent Alexander-Arnold continued at right back. Trent Alexander-Arnold continued at right back. Um, Jeannie Vinealden came on as a sub um, for Southampton. Um, it doesn't matter, does it? Well, uh, uh, Shane Long came came on half time. Josh Sims came on uh, in the 81st minute. Do you ever heard of Josh Sims? I know who Josh Sims is. Yeah. Do you prefer Josh Sims or The Sims? I much, much prefer The Sims. Mm. Do you... It's been a long time since I've played The Sims. Yeah? What was your last yeah. Sims experience? Oh, I think it would be going back towards like 2009 or so now. I had The uh, Sims 2, it was, I had. Um, it's a great game. And I built a whole kind of, like, uh, I did it properly and I, I got quite far into it. And then I, I think the computer broke and by the time we got a new one, I'd I couldn't find the game anymore, or something like that. But um, well, that's heartbreaking. Now, tell me this: Do you what? Your, what's your favourite bit of The Sims? Because for me, I only really liked building the houses. No, I liked the career achievements in a way that definitely doesn't match how I've actually done my own career achievements in real life. Oh. Um, I was yeah, I, I liked kind of what I would do. Because there was some like it was about eight different jobs, right? And it was like artist and like cheerleader and stuff like that, and like army recruit. Yeah. But you would then progress through. And at the end of each day, you would come back from the carpool or whatever, and would say you need to, you know, you're in line for a promotion. You need to add two to your creativity points or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then you'd spend the night like doing a painting, and then you go to work and you get promoted. Yeah. What I did. Because I worked out what you needed to have to get far in each job, so I would before he before he got a job, uh, my my fella, uh, they had quite a quite a sparsely furnished home. Um, it just had like the basics of everything. I didn't spend a lot on like baths or toilets or anything or wallpaper. Uh, but I would buy all the necessary things for them to advance their skill set, so like an easel or a swimming pool or a, a home gym. Uh, and I would spend days making them just do the same thing over and over again. So painting, swimming, dancing, cooking, working out. So that day by day their skill set would increase to maximum. And then I would start applying for jobs. So I would kind of already be like 10 out of 10 for artistic creativity. And then I would apply for jobs like studio apprentice, get promoted on my first day, go back again, get promoted on my second day, and basically rise up the entire ranks of a profession within sort of ten days. 
um, and then resign and do the same thing with another job. I had a lot of different jobs. Oh, that's I clever. That's really I a professional American footballer and uh, commander in chief of the U.S. Army, <laughs> all in the same fortnight. I mean, to be fair, that, like the way the America is at the moment, that doesn't that wouldn't surprise me if that's true. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, I to, I, to be fair, um, what annoyed I love The Sims. I love like I love the ability to like. Do you remember like using the tilt key and then typing mother load? Everyone knows this, right? Type what? Mo- so you use the tilt key, which is the one left of the number one. Um, and then you type, and that brought up like a little command box, and you typed motherload, M O T H E R L O D E, and it was 50 grand to cheat. And you could just keep doing that to get infinite money. I did not know that. Man, it's every single game had that. That was that was like the, one of the most legendary cheats in video game history. Um, like with the Konami code and stuff like that. Um, but I I did get I didn't have the first one because I didn't have a computer good enough at the time. I then got the second one. And I loved it. But what really annoyed me was all those expansion packs. Because mm. they were, like you, they, they put out like ten expansions, which added a little bit more to the game. They were like fifteen quid each, and like that's just by the end of it, it was such a stupid amount of money. It was almost mad, like to have to try and get all these different packs and stuff. And then the Sims, I think, I think Sims Two was the worst for it, but I think the Sims Two was also pretty bad, like in terms of just the amount of you know the amount of money you'd have to throw at it, and still you wouldn't have quite the game you wanted, which you know again sums up this month quite well. Um, yeah. So. Um, yeah, and then they started having stuff like the Katy Perry pack and the H&M pack, and that was just when I sort of, I sort of started to lose interest with the game. I don't remember those. No? Um, no, I think that was after my time, maybe. Because I never really had many computer games growing up, I guess, so I never kind of went in for expansion packs and stuff. Also, I thought, like, you, you know, I've got I've got the game, and there was enough to do on that. I didn't, I just, yeah, like you say, it all got a bit unnecessary, didn't it? Mm. I mean, to be fair, this is a recommendation for listeners. If you're thinking about going and playing The Sims, which I think Owen and I would both say you should you should definitely go and do that. Oh, definitely, uh, yeah. Don't buy the newest one. Uh, the newest one, The Sims 4, is not as good and has less features than The Sims 3. I'd recommend you go and buy The Sims 3, buy a bundle with all the expansion packs, and you've got mm. the best version of The Sims there is. I would, I would, I would back back you up on that. Do do they still have the Grim Reaper though? Because that was one of the coolest moments. Is it if you accident like start a fire and then like put like a coffee table right next to a fireplace and then give it about two minutes and like sparks will jump out and set fire to your coffee table and then if you arranged a careful chain of furniture you could set fire to your house very quickly. Mm. Oh, you can um, still do that. You can still do that. Yeah, because you could, like, sell your smoke alarm as well, do you know what I mean? So no one would come and save you, and then you'd die. Um, and then the Grim Reaper would turn up, and you'd be taken off to, you know, the other place. And in your place would be a small uh, urn, which then you could... You have the option to make your people mourn, like, act... like. Because obviously they didn't notice you were dead until you actively <laughs> made them mourn. No, that's true. In fact, there are versions of The Sims where you turn into a ghost and then your ghost exists in the house instead. Oh, wow. That, well, that, I never played one of them. That's true. There's, there are various expansions. I think The Sims 4 does that automatically. I don't like... There's so many different versions of the game. I'm not certain which does and doesn't. Um, <laughs> but the classic one, if you're going to kill your Sim, the classic one is um, by uh, jumping them in the pool and then removing the steps to get out. That was always the classic one. Oh, yeah, I mean, they just tire themselves out so much, don't they, that they drown. Yeah, yeah, I mean, although I think they've taken that out of the newest one. Again, another oh, reason not what? to buy it. It was a good way, I think, as, you know, as kind of people growing up in that generation, it was a good way to play out your sadistic fantasies without really, like, 
Seriously, there's stuff like Grand Theft Auto where you can like run over sex workers and all of that, which has a you know when you're that age has a certain perverse appeal. But it's something you'd never consider doing in real life. It's just part of the game. Whereas for Sims, there was a kind of experimental streak about it. You know what I mean? There was a certain curiosity that you needed to like satisfy at that age, mm. which you could do with the Sims. Yeah. What, what, it... what happens if I get a, a diving board and then remove the pool from underneath it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or you know, what happens if you know I try and put out a really really hot fire? when everything's on fire and I'm not wearing any trousers <laughs> or like you know yeah just you know how many times how many lengths will I have to do of a standard you know residential size swimming pool before my arms actually wither and I die <laughs> um, the answer is not as many as you think yeah that's true yeah it always happened a lot quicker than you're expecting and as we tumble out at the semi-final of the league cup uh, uh, we find ourselves back in the FA Cup uh, and a home tie in fourth round at home to Paul Lambert's Wolverhampton Wanderers. And would you say after um, after two two draws and a defeat uh, this month in the league that this is kind of becoming our last realistic chance of silverware this season? It absolutely is our last realistic chance of silverware this season. Well, it's a good job we went in with our heads held high. Yeah. What and, happened? And with the strongest squad we could, that included yeah. the likes of Joe Gomez, Connor Randall, who made an appearance from Out of the Dark, uh, Ovi Ajari and Ben Woodburn. Connor Randall, uh, this is his first game of the season, I think. Um, and almost undoubtedly his last. Yeah, almost certainly. Um, so, um... Wolverhampton and Harry, Wil- Harry Wilson on the bench as well, actually. Yes, he learnt his right to be on the bench. Um yeah. I mean, Paul Lambert's a sort of, a sort of man who, who has come to Anfield and done pretty well. But he was here with Wolverhampton Wanderers, probably my favourite alliterated team in the uh, in the top four divisions. I mean, I don't know if you can think of any better than Wolverhampton Wanderers. Oh, that's a good question. You know, Wolverhampton uh, Wanderers. And even their nickname, Wolves, Wolves Wanderers. It, it all just works so beautifully yeah. well. What about... I mean, Swansea City sort of works. So it's, yeah, it's assonant rather than alliterative. Mm. So. I, I prefer the alliterativeness, you know. Mm. Um, Just on the kind of on the crest as well with WWFC. Yeah, exactly. Um, what about? What about? What about? A, what about? A, what about? A, what about? Uh, Rafe Rovers. Rafe. I know they're, Scot- they're Scottish. Does that count? I mean, uh, uh, teams obviously count. I mean, I was also talking about the English divisions, but we can have Rafe Rovers for sure. There are, you know. Just thinking, are there any, are there any like outside of the U, outside of the UK? Ah, that's a good question. Um, like rail something, rail rovers, rail, <laughs> rail rovers. Rail. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a team I'd watch. Rail rovers. Um, there's um, there's Aberdare Athletic or Annan Athletic. Are they, where are they from? They're Scottish. Uh, Scottish and Welsh. Sorry. Okay. Um, like, like there must be like some American team, or like Australian team, because they've got all, got the weird names, like you know, like the Perth Panthers or something. Yeah, Seattle, uh, Seattle Sounders works. Seattle Sounders, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, there must be some in Australia. Uh, they've got weird names, haven't they, in Australian football teams? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's an interesting question. Does this count? Western Sydney Wanderers. That's WSW. Hmm. It's or not, it's not quite as good as Wolverhampton Wanderers, or even more tenuously, New Zealand Knights. 
<laughs> None of those letters begin with the same letter. The words begin with the same letter, though. No, that's why it's more tenuous. <laughs> Even more tenuous. Um, um, there must be there must be some more in England, surely. There's got to be, but we can't, we're struggling to think, aren't we, for alliterative team names? I think there's got to be one BBFC, is it? Like... BBFC. No, well, isn't, not... that, isn't that the British Broadcasting Federation or something? Yeah. <laughs> isn't that, that, that's not yeah, it's, it's the ones who do a um. Who do like the kind of film classifications, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like, that. They, don't, they don't play. They don't play at you know Lansdowne Road. It's not quite. It's not quite. Yeah. Not quite. Not quite the same thing. I uh, there's definitely another one in England. There's got to be. It's crazy, isn't it? What are your uh, favourite? What are you, genuinely? What are your favourite football team names of all time? Uh, Northwich Victoria. Nice. I'm a big fan of ones just with names in. So Northwich Victoria, Accrington Stanley, uh, Crew Alexandra, those yeah. kind. Um, when I was growing up, I used to don't hate me for this, but Man United and Leeds United and West Ham United, basically anything United football club, just because if you read their crest, it would always be the initials, and it would be like Muffsy or Luffsy or <laughs> Woffsy. And that's great. Uh, I remember that kind of appealing to me. Or um, Tuffsy in the case of Torquay United. Uh, Oofsy, Oxford United. Um, yeah, but yeah, anything United. Really. See, there's, um, a, there's a couple. I, I like Rushton and Diamonds. Are they still going? I have a feeling they folded, didn't they? Are they? Oh, no. Yeah, I think they went into administration. Oh, don't break my heart, Owen. <laughs> yeah, mate. Um, 2011, they dissolved. Oh, yeah. that, yeah. That's really sad now. Yeah, because I, I used to really like them. Because when, when I was growing up, it was, you know, they were one of the real, um, real kind of regular, like, lower league names you'd hear, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Rushton and Diamonds, it was like an iconic name. Um, Sadly, they're yeah, no more. Yeah, because it was always Rushton and Diamonds and Dagenham and Redbridge. Teams with teams with an and as well. Teams with an and is good. I like teams with an and. Having at Waterlooville. I was thinking that. I was thinking yeah. That. I wonder how many of those we've played in the past, actually. I wonder, like, wonder. That's that's a stat for another month, I think. Let me have a look, see if I can... I also like um, I like Blythe Spartans. I mean, just having the word Spartans in your name is great. Yeah, Spartans um, is a good one. Spartans is great. And um, also, this is a weird one, Sheffield Wednesday. I don't quite understand where the Wednesday comes from in that. I have a feeling that's something to do with when they started as a club. They could only... They used to train on Wednesdays. And there was another Sheffield team, and so they were just Sheffield, like, Wednesday club. Have you just made that up? No, I think that's actually true. <laughs> so. Um, oh, um, Harrogate, uh, Harrogate Railway. Ooh. Non-league club that got to the first round of the FA Cup uh, about ten years ago. Played Millwall. Uh, obviously based in Harrogate, and it was, like, team founded from the old staff of the um, railway company. Mm. Similar with Vauxhall Motors, actually. Vauxhall Motors. What about um, Total Network Solutions? Yes, another good one. Yeah. Um, originally uh, Lance Santfrey's town, <laughs> and then um, yeah, I mean it's a really like, dodgy deal, really, and they've kind of just basically got bought out and sponsored, and they sold like their entire identity, a bit like Red Bull Leipzig, but I even to, more. I was about to say that, yeah. Yeah, um, and quite why there wasn't so much opposition. Uh, to TNS happening I don't know because and a lot of the other teams in Wales hate them apparently not just because they've been really successful but because they like dragged down the reputation of 
like Welsh football by just making it look like pathetic because uh, you could you, like, everything was for sale, even your team's name. Um, and obviously, then Total Network Solutions, the company, uh, folded. But because by then they had this identity as TNS, <laughs> uh, their new name uh, was the New Saints. The New Saints, yeah. Um, so they, you know, new name, but same initials. Similar, actually, um, to a Welsh team, as you get some great, um, great dodgy team names, uh, Airbus UK. <laughs> I remember them. Yeah, um, again, in, Welsh, in the Welsh Premier League for quite a few years. Um, I think they're still there now, in fact. Because um, it was Jeff Stelling used to say whenever they'd won, uh, they'll be dancing in the streets of Airbus UK tonight. You know? <laughs> I um, do uh, remember that, yeah. But they've now changed their name as well, I think. To, um, <coughs> yeah, in 2007, they changed it to actually add the name of where it was based, Broughton, in Wales. Broughton, 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 Broughton. Broughton. So they're now called Airbus UK Broughton Football Club. Oh, that, or, that, that's entirely different. Mm, or on those, those ever so rare occasions when they compete in UEFA competition, uh, because of sponsorship rules, they are known as AUK Broughton, which is also quite a good name. Sounds a bit Greek. AUK, yeah, like AUK Athens, yeah. Exactly, yeah. That's good. Um, no, that's cool. That's quite interesting. I like, I like weird team names. Mm. I feel like we've learned something. Unlike our team, who had learned nothing throughout the course of the month, uh, and managed to throw this one away 2-1, and we were suddenly at the FA Cup as well. Yeah, um, in fact, you might argue in a, literally in about a week, because this was a lunchtime kickoff. In le- in less than a week, we fucked our entire season. And we were out of both competitions, and we lost our league challenge totally. Um, with a series of dire performances, uh, which was handy when our last game of the month uh, was at home to the runaway leaders of the Premier League, Chelsea. Yeah. Um, um, somehow this was actually quite a good performance well yeah I, I mean, no, no. <laughs> where was this all month eh yeah well I'll tell you where it was Matt Gabon that's true yeah that's very true yeah, um, the African Cup of Nations um, Sadio Mane uh, who uh, the same weekend we lost to Wolves actually missed the penalty that knocked Senegal out of the African Cup of Nations. Uh, it was almost like he'd taken a look at how it was going. I was like, right, they need me. Sorry, <laughs> lads, but this is going over the crossbar. Um, and, yeah, came back. And he didn't start the game, but he did come on in the 75th minute in uh, what I can tell you. It was his first ever substitute appearance for Liverpool. There you go. Um, and, yeah, and we um, yeah went 1-0 down. And then... Equalised through Genie Vinalum and yeah, uh, but I mean the high point really, other than drawing with the team running away at the top of the league, was was Mane coming back. And it's just I don't know, it was one of those rare occasions when coming back from holiday is nicer than going on holiday. Do you mm. know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean I've had a few, I, I've not had many terrible holidays really, but I've had a few times when it's just been nice to be back from holiday. Um, Going back once, uh, when I went on holiday with my ex-girlfriend, came back to the house we lived in together, and uh, the cat we had, obviously someone had been cat-sitting for a week, but she was there again, and so seeing her was nice, because I've missed her. Um, or, I don't know, I remember coming back from holiday uh, once, and I got back in on a Friday night, and then I came home and watched Not Going Out, and that was, that was enjoyable, yeah. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I just remember Friday night getting chips and watching not going out. It's like, oh yeah, England, nice. 
Overall, no, I'm more of a going on holiday man when I come back from holiday man. I certainly, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I find going back from holiday really stressful. I find going on holiday really stressful, but at least you've got a holiday at the other end to kind of look forward to and justify it. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's true. I mean, I'd like to say I was a, a going on holiday person. Um, it, although I haven't been on holiday in five years, so. But anyway, um, the final game of the month ends. And um, it looks like we've improved our performances, which might be a good sign for the future. Um, our next game being away at Hull, which we'll talk about at the beginning of our February podcast. Yeah, but surely, surely it's it's only uphill from here. This is it. You know, Chelsea was a sign of improvements to come. Um, oh, and I, I, I think we've we've done this now for about an hour and an hour. Uh, we really need to stop pretending and actually talk about what the fuck happened over this month. So let's start actually talking about, because you just mentioned it um, just then, um, how important how important has the loss of Mane been to the disaster of a month we've had? Uh, well, I think it's been devastating. Um, you only have to look at how we've actually performed. Um, there's just, I mean, I think as much as, I don't, because we weren't a one-man team, do you know what I mean? It wasn't like he was the only one keeping us going before Christmas, but... Just in terms of the effect it's had on the shape of the team, the sort of I don't know the tactics of a team. Obviously, we've seen Adam Lallana move further up into a sort of full position. It just and that's kind of hampered him as well because he was one of our strongest players of the season and he was just totally ineffectual throughout January. Mm, playing in the playing, kind of replacing uh, Barne in that right hand side position. Um, yeah, um, it's kind of a bad indictment on how on our squad that a player we only signed in the summer has become so important to us that losing him for less than a month as we did has been this critical mm. it's a good bloody job they didn't get to the final isn't it mm, this is it right so it's um it's 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 almost stark um but you say moving Lalana forward and for me i think <sighs> young Klopp hasn't done a huge amount wrong in his time uh with us so far and obviously, he's given our club a new sense of optimism and rejuvenation. Has he? <laughs> I think he totally screwed this month up completely with some appallingly bad decisions. Yeah. Um, what would you say was the worst? Oh God, where do we start? Um, let's just you know, if we run through the games, I mean, the young squad at Plymouth—not necessarily a bad idea, but ultimately proved bad. But. Okay, it happens once. Next time we'll put out a slightly stronger squad and be able to deal with it. Of course, we then go away to Plymouth with a slightly stronger squad, and it takes Lucas to save us from being completely embarrassed. Um, I would argue that wasn't Klopp's fault. I would say the team he put out, youngest of all time or whatever, should have been able to beat a League Two side. It's difficult, either, though. Well, no, like either. All right, let's just have another look at the team for the original home tie against Plymouth. The 0 0 at Anfield. A bloody dismal result. Let's not pretend otherwise. Mm. But you've got Carius, who we bought as our number one goalkeeper. You've got Moreno, who's been a first team regular in the past. Lucas, first team regular. Chan, um, Origi. Uh, then you've got players like uh, Joe Gomez, who we're kind of saying, you know, he's got to come back at some point. And then the others, people like Ijaria, Ojo, Woodburn, Trent Alexander Arnold, they're supposed to be. You know the next big things. They're supposed to be the brightest of our current academy crop. Now, if the brightest of our academy crop aren't good enough to beat a League Two side, who the hell are they good enough to play against? Do you know what I mean? The, bri- the brightest uh, our academy should be so strong that our strongest academy prospects should be beating championship level sides. 
mm. on their way to becoming Premier League beaters. Not, you know, these are our brightest sides, but they're not as good as a League Two side. Because if that is the case, what the hell does that say about our academy? Mm. I The only thing... The problem is, well, one, you know, obviously we don't want to not give Plymouth credit, and they are, I think, top of the League Two, so they aren't... You know, they're a good side. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah, they played well. They knew exactly what they had to do, and they did it, mm. you know, perfectly. They, they, they nailed it. Yeah, and, you know, it's a case of... Um, they are the difference is they were you know it was their best team and I think you are discrediting the fact that this was a jumbled mess of various types of you know academy prospects and experienced players that hadn't played together. Plymouth were a side who had played together and knew each other inside out. I think that 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 is something that you have to appreciate in this kind of context. Yeah, fair point. I'll take that. But I still think you know I would still exonerate Klopp from this one because I think the team he sent out was good enough to do the job. I think the players let him down rather than the manager let himself down. You know, but then we look at, for example, um, well, the Sunderland game first and foremost. You know, he's played basically the same team that were up against City 48 hours later, and I think that that's a, you know we didn't play well away at Sunderland, and it was critical. You know, it was this was the start of our bad run as a result, and he didn't give the enough players the rest that they needed. Hmm. So you're saying he shouldn't have rested players against Plymouth, but he should against Sunderland. Yeah. Well, it's 48 hours after. It's, it's, you know, it's a ridiculous... I mean, schedulers aside, you've got to take what you're given. I mean, it, it's players like, for me, like Roberto Firmino, who's played far too many games already this season. Yeah. Now he won't have to play many more because we're out of everything. But yeah. you've got to know when to rest him and when to not and, and when to bring in certain players and when not to. And I just think, against Sunderland, he, he, Klopp got it wrong. Yeah, I, yeah. I think against Sunderland, you might be right. I think he should have rotated a bit more. Plymouth, I'd defend him against. Um, Plymouth away, I'd defend him against. But yeah. Um, but, then, but then it's not just team selections, of course. It's it's substitutions, which well, I've already talked about several times. Is, is yeah, driven, is driven me up the wall. And he's done it again this month, plenty of times. Yeah. Just re- refusing to make changes until the game is already lost. Effectively, yeah. I know you should never give up till the last minute, like never kind of lose faith until the very end. I mean, look at Dortmund, mm. you know what I mean? But at the same time, if you need to score to even have a hope of forcing extra time to get to a League Cup final, why are you only making your first substitution on 78 minutes? Yeah, it's, 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 not, it's not even as if we've been playing particularly well for those 78 minutes. You know what, and then and then what are you expecting? You know, Origi and Wijnaldum to come on with ten minutes and and affect the game. How? What? You know, you're not giving them enough of a chance. And it's just unfair on those players. In the same way, when he's done it to Sturridge in the past, it gives them like a bad reputation. It says, oh, you know, haven't scored again. But really, they have so few chances in that time that it's unfair on them. Mm. It was like the Swansea game. You know, yeah, he made a substitution on 57 minutes, took Coutinho off, but he only took Coutinho off for fitness reasons. Yeah, you know. Otherwise, he's bringing Divock Origi on, you know, Ekremo uh, Chan in seventy minutes. He took Wijnaldum off for Joel Matip on the ninetieth minute to just to throw him on as a last minute kind of hit and hope. And obviously, that didn't work. You so, know. would you argue? Would you argue he has too much faith in his starting lineup? Well, what other what other reason is there to not make changes it, it, earlier when it's clearly not working? Um, well, I don't know. I, I honestly, I, I, only he could answer that. I think. And I think I just I think that's baffling. And you know, it, and of course that 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 in a way means you have to register the fact that you've made mistakes in the starting lineup. And I think there are two massive ones. One of them you've already touched upon is who replaces Mane. Uh, Klopp chose Lalana 
um, pushing him forward, uh, that was a big mistake because those three up front are just aren't balanced enough. They're too narrow. Um, Mane adds width and pace that we needed to directly replace in one form or another. Hmm. But if it hadn't been Lallana, who could it have been? Who do you do you think? Who who could we have? Well, we tried a couple of we tried Sturridge out there, but that's never going to work. Um, no. Origi, not really the type of player, but probably had a bit more of the attributes in terms of the pace. If he could be disciplined enough to to stretch teams and go into the byline a bit more, he could have done the job. It's funny actually because I remember thinking to myself, who's the second best player at doing that in the squad? And the name that popped up to me was Shea Ojo. Yeah, I mean, um... it may have been a risk to play him, but. Quite honestly, you put him in the first team in Marley's position, he'll do the job Marley can do. Maybe Will not. he do it as consistently or as well? We didn't need him to. We just needed him to do it for two games or whatever. I guess. You know, and I think that that for me, if you're gonna you're gonna play these youngsters, you've got to play them in the positions you want to play them at the times when we need them. You know, where where you can bring them in with a strong team. Shay Ojo would have been perfect player to replace, you know, Mane. Even as a substitute, with with half an hour to go when things weren't working out, which obviously didn't happen anyway, you bring Ojo on into that position and get him to do Mane's job, and I think he is probably he would he would have been able to do it. Hmm. I don't know. I just feel Shea Ojo has lost. I don't know. He seems to have not gone backwards, but stood still a bit over the last few. I know he's been injured and that, but mm. I don't know if he's quite the answer anymore. I just, I don't. He's probably the best answer we got, but. It was, sure, be- it was better than the answer Klopp offered. I can see why he went for Lalana over Ojo, because, you know, more Premier League experience, more experience generally. But what you, and this is the thing, right? I can see why Lalana was a logical choice. So what you've got to ask yourself is, is it Klopp's mistake or is it the players? Because you can't, you can't ignore the fact that over January, it wasn't just Klopp making questionable decisions. It wasn't just Mane going away. You know, our players lost form massively. All of our players, like yeah, pretty much. I mean, some L- some more than others for sure. Yeah, Lalana, we've touched upon. Emre Chan, what the hell? Emre Chan was apocalyptically awful and has been it, for the last couple of months now. Yeah, but he seemed to reach his nadir in January. Do you know what I mean? He seemed to hit rock bottom. Now the thing with Emre Chan is that it, yeah, he's he's still such a revered prospect from much of the Liverpool faithful including myself I don't lose faith in him but in the way that we've been playing recently uh, with the, particularly the midfield triumvirate of Lallana Wijnaldum and Henderson at, at our peak which again I'll go into in a bit but he doesn't fit in that at all no. it doesn't seem to work in the same way that Sturridge doesn't work up front it's the same problem it's just yeah it just doesn't fit he slows the game down he's cumbersome you know, he, he doesn't. His passing seems to have gone astray. He's too safe with the ball at the moment. You know, I know he's had injury problems as well, but it, it it's it's not helpful. You know, if you're not going to be able to offer anything like that, then give someone else a chance in the team. But Klopp continued to persist with him in that mm. midfield, rather than putting Lallana back into midfield, because it's two mistakes for Lallana. It's not only the fact it's a mistake replacing Mane with him. It's a mistake taking him out of where he was in the first place. Because Lallana in that eight midfield box-to-box role is sensational. And the moment he went back in there, the moment he's better again. Yeah. It's, it's just... It's baffling. I think, like you say, it's clock too set in his ways. Especially with, like when they are losing form, he just doesn't... Um, well, you know, doesn't want to change. 
just don't get it. I just don't get it. I know we've been missing Moen Alden for part of this month, again, through injury, and that was a big, big miss, you know, and surprise, again, talk about Mane factor, but Wijnaldum is quietly and very subtly becoming a vital part of that midfield. He's very slowly proving his worth, isn't he? Mm, you know, and I, I put him, I thought he would be a failure at the beginning of the season, and I'm very much eating my words on that one. Um, but as you say, you know, as you talk, you know, it's a combination of the injuries to, to key players. Coutinho, obviously, was still coming back at this point. Mm. So he, well, he'd lost form massively. Let's talk about the injuries, because, you know, some players lost form like Chan, they just became rubbish. Some, like Milner, I think just the season was starting to really take its toll, especially in an unfamiliar position. It was just kind of not looking bad, just looking knackered. And there were some players who were actively, who were actually knackered and injured, like... Um, like you touched on Vinaldum there. Uh, who else was there? I'd say Coutinho is coming back from injury. Yeah, which is almost why he wasn't playing. He's not been playing as well. Same with Matip. Mm. You know, Matip. Matip. Well, the, the, there's the Matip fiasco, which is the, the what the bloody hell was that? What with the Cameroon thing? Mm. You know, and that put him back. You know, and let's be honest. It's another signing in the summer that we we're becoming very quickly to rely on. Um, and he obviously then came back and was out of form because he was unfit and not, you know, not being able to play as well as he could do. Dayan Lovren got injured towards the end of the month as well. So. I mean, what what exactly happened with the Cameroon thing? Remind me, because it, it, I kind of missed the beginning of it. And so every article I read, I kind of felt I was missing some vital bit of knowledge. Basically, Matip hasn't played for Cameroon for maybe 18 months now. I think yeah. he's had a falling out with the coach. Um and just said, look, I, I'm retired from international football. But I don't know if he's mm. ever officially declared it. or I don't quite know how that works. But basically, the, uh, Cameroon tried to try to get him, tried to call him into the squad. And he mm. turned it down. Um, but for some reason, there was something to do with the rules whereby he either hadn't turned it down properly or Cameroon have to basically say, OK, fine, we accept your decision. And Cameroon didn't or wouldn't accept the decision. Uh, and it meant that he was in kind of stace. Like, imagine, imagine, you've seen the film The Terminal. I know the film, I haven't seen it. So the concept I'll... of the terminal is a guy leaves his home country and while he's on the flight, his country gets taken over in a coup and his passport becomes irrelevant. That's he, right, yeah. He lands in an American airport and so he doesn't, he's suddenly na- nationless, basically. So he can't oh. enter the country with a fake with a passport that doesn't exist and he can't go home because he doesn't have a home anymore. So he's stuck in a airport terminal until it can be sorted out. Matic was basically in that situation because he couldn't play for us because Cameroon technically said he was you couldn't say either way if he was playing for them or not but he wasn't going to play for Cameroon because he said he's not going to go and he didn't go so he was stuck not playing he was also recovering from injury but he couldn't get game time it's just a just a joke yeah it was um it reminded me a bit of the whole Sacco thing with UEFA do you know what I mean mm. they say he can't play because he's taken a banned substance that wasn't actually banned and just yeah just laughable it's just it's just baffling, and so yeah, losing him as well. Nathaniel Klein lost form, by the way. Talking about players who lost form, you know, yeah. and then he got injured for a bit, which is why Trent Alexander Arnold had to come in. And to be fair to him, did did admirably well. Yeah, two thirds of a beast. You know, is probably one of the few players to come out of this month with any credit attached to him. Mm, you know, but it's it's you know it's not fair on him. And you know, Nathaniel Klein is our experienced and and dependable right back, and he ends up getting injured as well. Um, Simon Mignolet again, like. The inevitable sort of happened. He just kind of lost it. Um, well, this goalkeeper situation is is bizarre, isn't it? Like, you know. You know what I would have done? Well, you know what I would have done. <laughs> Go on. I would have uh, played Alex, Alex Manager against Plymouth in replay. Yeah, couldn't have because been. 
I genuinely don't feel he could have done any worse from a kind of coming to expect from Karius and Mignolet. Mm. I mean, certainly, you know, it's 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 a it's a difficult situation, I guess, to manage, but what to manage? Yeah, to manage. There you go. Oh yeah, um, but humour in the darkest moments. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, and then I just want to quickly bring up the Chan thing. Because actually, what what seems to be happening now, particularly when Vinaldum was coming back from fitness, is that Chan was still being picked ahead of Vinaldum. Um, after everything we've said about how bad Chan has been, Klopp continued to persist with him. Even though, as we've now seen and we've seen before, the the Lalana Wijnaldum Henderson thing is is the is pretty much the only midfield we now have that works to our absolute purest advantage. But yet Klopp continued to pick Chan, and it just drove me insane when you've got Wijnaldum on the bench who is offering so much more now. No, I, I it's just I don't I really can't understand that. Like I don't know what it is on Klopp's part that's making him do that. Whether it's uh, bloody mindedness or some kind of national allegiance <laughs> or what but it's um it's not it's not it wasn't conducive to to the month we had in fact Wijnaldum one player of the month and as I joked to you when I found out it was a case of well probably because he wasn't playing well exactly exactly so you know um, he's you talk about players to come out with any credit in terms of senior figures he's pretty much the only one because every time he played which wasn't much in this month we, we he did all right we played okay hmm uh, one final thing I want to touch on for January before we condemn it to history forever. Jordan Williams. Yeah. Uh, uh, that was a really kind of... That was a real shocker. Um, one of the kind of... One of the rumours started swirling around about um, the Plymouth away squad. Um, and everyone was like, Yo, Harry, Harry Wilson in line for his debut. And there were photos showing Harry Wilson having travelled with the squad. Because they always take more players travelling than they actually put on the bench. Just because you need to, just in case there's injuries in the uh, warm-up or anything like that. You always take three goalkeepers with you. Um, and when the kind of images came out, um, there was um, there was Jordan Williams. And obviously went on loan last year to... Swindon? Yeah, I think that's right. He went out on loan somewhere and kind of got forgotten about. He he only ever played once for Liverpool in that massive Middlesbrough League Cup tie. Um, came back and again is not really troubled for first team. When all of a sudden Mary was on the bench and in that time he's posted some fairly, well no, not fairly, totally horrific and tasteless comments about the Munich air disaster. Yeah, there's one in particular which was the emoji of the plane and the emergency of the applause, whatever it was, I think, that Yeah. That really like, stung. Yeah, just kind of and I think it was during the Man United Liverpool Europa League game last season, which, you know, wasn't without incident both on and off the pitch itself, but just him kind of chipping in with that you know, it wouldn't have been acceptable from a first teamer. But Coming, I don't know, there was something about it coming from a kind of academy prospect with just one game to his name, but it seemed particularly... I don't know, it was up there with Jerome Sinclair kind of level of shittery. And, worse than that. And he's just... Oh, yeah, much worse than that, you're right. And his kind of... His defence was... Our, his account must have been hacked. and No action was really ever taken. He seemed to just get away with it. And if, you know, if I were Liverpool, I'd have find him as much as I could and possibly even just said right you'll never play for this club again and you know the same kind of treatment Charles Atonji got when he was messing around at Hillsborough um, 
memorial. Mm. You know, it, it, I genuinely was very disappointed to see that decision made. Um, but he didn't get on, so... He didn't get on, which is a shame, because there wasn't an opportunity to have his leg broken. No, true. We don't condone violence here at the Fastest Scousers in any way, shape or form. No, uh, but if there's one player I wouldn't mind getting a pretty horrific career-ending injury, it's probably Jordan Williams. So, um... I used to really like the guy, and now he's a twat. <laughs> in one tweet. In one tweet. So, um... But yeah, so that was um, a pretty sad moment in what was a bloody horrific month in which our season f- completely fell apart. So yeah, let's let's as you say, let's cast this off and do something else. Yes, shall we do the A to Z? Let's do the A to Z. Cool. Uh, I would like you to start, Matt. Um, give us a brief reminder of what the A to Z is. The A to Z is our um, now world famous uh, collection of uh, twenty six players uh, through Liverpool past history, one for every letter of the alphabet. Uh, who are the greatest player to play for Liverpool. This is not necessarily the best player, although in many cases, obviously, so far it has been. Uh, this is the player who is just something that is great. The X Factor, as you may say. Um, and uh, what are the letters this week are M, N and O. So we've got three letters. So in order to save time, just two nominations each. We will each mm. nominate a couple of players and then decide amongst ourselves, uh, and sometimes argue, uh, what, mm-hmm. as to who... The greatest player is uh, Gordon Hodgson was the best choice. Okay, get over it. Uh, you will find out later why. Again, that's not true. Uh, so let's. Shall I pick my first nomination? Owen, are you happy with that? Yeah, yeah, please do. My first nomination was the one of the in the first names of the very first team sheet Liverpool ever put out. A man by the name of John Miller. John Miller uh, was, as I say, in the uh, 1892 squad, which I always like to bring up because I think you know the prime primordial history that we have um i think he, this is one of the great ones um he, he is one of the most interesting players to come out of this um come out of this time he was uh, indeed the first player ever to score five goals for liverpool that's pretty good and he scored it in the very first season that we ever had bloody hell he netted five goals in a 7-0 win over fleetwood rangers on the 3rd of december 1892 um, and that, you know, that record would then carry on till, I, I, when was the next time? Was it the 40s or the 60s, I think? Was yeah. It for a long time. Yeah, that, that, that stuck. <laughs> it really did. I think that's, that's a, a, if that's not interesting enough, he only ever played one season for us. <laughs> so oh, pretty much okay. he did that and then sod it off. Uh, played <laughs> 24 games in that time. Um, but he scored 25 goals. 25 goals in 24 games. In the very first season of Liverpool's history. Liverpool's top scorer, first ever top scorer, first ever five goals goal scorer, uh, won the, ult- the first ever one season wonder. Um, and then, th- very interestingly, um, he ended up playing, moving on to play for a team called, get ready, The Wednesday. The Wednesday. Is that the same as Sheffield Wednesday? They are now called Sheffield Wednesday. Look at that. That's the second time they've come up tonight. It's Amazing. not even a Shepherd Wednesday podcast. Amazing, right? I can actually tell you, um, just as a you know, as a follow-up stat, uh, the next player to uh, score five goals in one game for Liverpool after John Miller, uh, I won't ask you who it was, but do you know when it was? I guess around the 60s. 
Matt, no, it's actually uh, January 1902. Oh, it's a lot closer. Yeah, a lot closer. Only uh, only about, yeah, uh, ten years later. Andy McGuigan. Andy McGuigan. In a, in a 7-0 win against Stoke. Ooh. There we go. Whose name, interestingly, also begins with an M. Interesting, yeah. Mm. But he's, he's not on your list by any chance. He's not, no. Yeah. Would you like to know who is? Go on, then. Well, my uh, my first end then is going to be uh, going forward uh, quite a few decades. Jan Mulby. Lovely. Big Jan Mulby. Big Jan Mulby. He was big, big, big fella. <laughs> uh, but also one of the most talented players in Liverpool's history, unparalleled as a midfield visionary until perhaps the signing of Xabi Alonso in 2004. It says a lot about Jan Mulby. He was one of those players that people still refer to when talking about modern players. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In the same way like maybe Ray Clements and Ian Rush and Kenny Dalglish and not many others. Moby is one of those. Moby is one of those that you compare current players to, such as their greatness. So watching Xabi Alonso play, people would say it was like watching Jan Moby in his prime. Um, he signed for Liverpool when they were already, already European champions in 84. Um, although he never actually got to taste European glory with Reds himself. Um, the only European... Uh, f- yeah, well, because of the, um, the Heisel ban, he only had one season in Europe before they were banned for six years. Um, and actually, if you look at his medal record, it really doesn't do him justice for such a player he was. He got two FA Cups and two league titles, which isn't a lot for one of the finest passes of a ball in the history of our club. Um, partly because he wasn't really used to his full potential by Joe Fagan in his first season, but it was Kenny Dalglish who, in his own words, couldn't believe such a player was languishing in reserves. And so from the 1985-86 season onwards, uh, Moby became one of the instrumental Liverpool players. Uh, and in November '85, he actually scored... Probably his finest ever goal in a League Cup fourth-round match against Man United, uh, taking it past uh, several hopeless and useless Man United players uh, before blasting what Gary Bailey, the uh, Man United keeper of the day, still claims was the hardest shot he ever faced. (laughs) Uh, Now, moments later, Moby added a second from the penalty spot in what would become a familiar sight. Uh, Jan Moby scored. Get ready for this. From 45 attempted penalties, he scored 42 of them. No one in Anfield history has got a better ratio from 12 yards than the original honorary scouser. And yes, he was pretty fat, but that only (laughs) added to his legend um, and to his greatness uh, when it came. Though there was no doubt his failure to look after his body stopped him being even better. In fact, Kenny Dalglish actually said he felt sorry for all the people denied seeing Jan Moby as that absolute peak because Yamobi couldn't look after himself a bit better and yeah he might have gone to prison for six months in the middle of his Liverpool career (laughs) but let's face it which Liverpool football club player hasn't except all of the others what did he go to prison for uh, I think it was like a some kind of motoring offence for six months all I know is there was a high speed car chase in which he fled from the police but then they kind of worked out who he was because it was Jan Moby. Um, and kind of sent him to prison, yeah. And Kenny Dalglish had to plead with a director to Liverpool Football Club to uh, not just kind of let him go and to actually bring him back into the club. That's um, amazing. And it was, you know, um, they did and it was worth doing. But, um, yeah, he, yeah, it was just a high-speed car chase because he, like, ran away because he wouldn't stop. Uh, they gave him six months. 
Ah, that's so good. That's almost my favourite fact of all. Yeah, so that's um, yeah. I think he's the only Liverpool player to have been to prison during his Liverpool career. Man, that's so good. So yeah, kind of backhanded fact, but um, yeah, and he stayed with the team until um, nineteen ninety five, um, well into the kind of Roy Evans era. But um, yeah, I think it was yeah. When did Evans start? Ninety four. But yes, um, yeah, Mulby, the uh, the Great Dane. Great Dane, I love that. Um, so my next nomination is another big hitter, one of the biggest big hitters, uh, in Terry Mack, Terry McDermott. Terry McDermott, Batash. Terry McDermott, yep, the, the, Graham Souness in pretty much every single way. <laughs> they, they basically look the same, if you put them side by side. Um, they do, don't they? That's do. terrifying. Um, he signed in 1974 for the club and actually spent two years in the reserves. Um, in fact, he was very, very close to leaving, um during this time but was eventually uh, given his chance in 1977 um, and he suddenly came into the came into the squad uh, and ended up becoming one of our all-time great midfielders so quite simply a legend of, of, of the way he played the game um, as a midfielder he was um, a scorer of many many spectacular goals he was a, a real kind of shots from outside the box type of guy um, in the way that we might think of Coutinho nowadays um, mm. Although he was much more of a sort of number eight rather than number ten uh, in that respect. Um, he scored his first goal for us, in fact, in a 1997 Cup final. Uh, 1977 Cup final. Um, in fact, the 1977 uh, European Cup final. Uh, Not many players have scored their first goal for us in a Cup final. No, true. And he also scored uh, in the Super Cup semi-final. Uh, he also scored a 16-minute hat-trick. <laughs> In 1977, Six. in the same year. Bloody hell, I didn't know that. Yep. Um, as he played, um, he went uh, when Kevin Keegan was managing, uh, was playing with Hamburg, and he came back with them, and uh, yeah, he scored a he scored a 60 minute hat trick in the in the in the game at Anfield. So that is sensational. Known for stunning st- these stunning goals at one point uh, during his Anfield career, for a midfielder, he scored 20 goals in 22 games. Jesus. From a midfielder. That's pretty sensational. Um, mm. He also um, scored. Um, he also scored in the FA Cup nineteen seventy seven final, a uh, semi final against Everton, uh, which was voted goal of the season by the BBC. Um, so basically, this man scores a lot of amazing goals uh, from midfield. A total of eighty one in three hundred twenty nine games. Um, his trophy cabinet was littered with league championships in 77, 79, 80, 82, uh, the League Cup in 81 and 82, the European Cup in 77, 78, 81, UEFA Cup 76, um, and was the very first player in history to win both the PFA and Football Writers Player of the Year in the same year, in 1980. Oh, that's a good fact. Isn't it just? Ooh. First player to win both in the same year. You um, may have just edged it for McDermott there. Um as well as that he after after many many fine years at liverpool he eventually left in 1982 to go to newcastle um where he played for um a couple of years um before going on to play for uh cork city which is another cc uh alliterated yes, side it is. yeah of course um, it is although not by accidents this time sadly um, and then possibly one of our favourite clubs, um, the great Cyprusian Cypriot team, Apoel Nicosia. He did not. He played for Apoel Nicosia for two whole years, between 85 and 87. Bloody hell. 
which was his last games before um, becoming an assistant manager. I didn't know Liverpool had any players in common with Apoel. Terry McTurner two years in the sunshine out there. Um, Oh, good man. Before eventually becoming... um, And here's another thing, as if it gets any better at this point. He was Kevin Keegan's assistant manager at Newcastle, including on that 4-3 game. Ooh, he's he's a bit of a club legend at Newcastle, I think, isn't he? There's not many that become a legend of two different clubs, but C- certainly he was there. You know, between, we signed we signed Terry McDermott for, from Liverpool, uh, from Newcastle in '74. He'd mm. only been there a year, and then he went back there between '82 and '84. Yeah, so, so really, yeah, put a shift in for both, didn't he? He really did, and I mean, one of our all-time great legends, one of our all-time great goal-scoring legends. Facts and facts abound. Um, history, both as a player and a manager at our club in one form or another. Um, great clubs to have played for. Great stats, great facts. Terry McDermott, the man with the tash. The man with the tash. But it's good. It's very good. It's going to take something special to beat that, Matt. It's going to take someone truly special, and I think I might just have found him. Go on. Matt McQueen. The man who sounds like an action hero. The man who sounds like an action hero. He's not an action hero, but he is, I think, or should be a Liverpool hero. And doing this doing this feature really does remind me just how many greats there have been for us across the 125 years that just people don't talk about anymore. A lot of people think kind of... Well, too many people think football started in 1992. Obviously, we don't think that. But still, a lot of people think kind of Liverpool before Shankly wasn't really much... And there's so many interesting players back there and so many history makers. And Matt McQueen is one of the best. He made his debut for Liverpool in October 1892. We're going right back to the days of John Miller here. Um, He actually made his debut alongside his brother, Hugh. Um, He's one of the rare occurrences where two siblings have both played for Liverpool. So that's, you know, that's something in his favour. And yet, what I'm about to tell you, the fact that his brother made his debut for him in the same game, which I think is the only time that's ever happened, that's not even close to the best fact I've got on Matt McQueen. Um, so, as the Liverpool Mercury match report said, the latest captures have been very quietly affected, and in the brothers McQueen, they have acquired a couple far above the average. And that's putting it mildly, Liverpool Mercury. Uh, he actually scored his first goal in December of that year in a game we've already mentioned, the 7-0 route of Fleetwood Rangers. Um, he played in Liverpool's first ever Football League match in 1893. Uh, and it was to be quite a landmark season. Not only did we win the league that year, uh, but <clears throat> and this is where it gets good, right? As well as covering many outfield positions in a manner James Milner was proud of, Matt McQueen also played in goal. <laughs> Not as an emergency sub like Steve Staunton or Jose Enrique have done in the past, but he was actually the named goalkeeper for that team. First being so against Newcastle in November 1893, where, of course, he kept a clean sheet. Now, <clears throat> over the next three seasons, he made 37 appearances in goal for Liverpool, which, given they won the league twice in that time, makes him the only player in recorded football history anywhere in the world, as far as research shows, to win league champion medals. Admittedly, it was second division, but still, to win the league as both a goalkeeper and an outfield player. That's incredible. The only player in the world in the history of football. How are you able to verify that? That's my question. Well, 
it's not my fact um, it has been sought to be verified by other sources and they've been unable to find anyone else that's done it there are plenty of players that have spent you know good portions of their career playing in goal and then switched to become an outfield player and vice versa quite you know that's not massively uncommon but to win the league as both a keeper and as an outfield player that's not been done by anyone but Matt McQueen now he kept playing for Liverpool until 1899 and totally played 150 matches and in those matches obviously this was back in the days before substitutions it was back before it got too academic Matt McQueen played in all 11 positions in the Liverpool side <laughs> so I ask you Matt what could follow that what could follow playing in every position of a Liverpool team I'd have no idea Becoming Ma- manager. Manager of Liverpool team. Becoming manager. And he did that. He stepped into the hot seat in early 1923 following David Ashworth's resignation. Um, and when he did so, he guided the Reds to the first division championship title. He was also the first ever former Liverpool player to become a Liverpool manager. Um, and he served for five years, eventually, sadly retiring, actually, <clears throat> as a result of ill health, which arose from his amputated leg following a car accident in Sheffield. But... Now, there's so there's so many good M's, right? You know, and one we didn't we haven't even mentioned is Ronnie Moran, who again, you know, fulfilled nearly every role it was possible to fulfil at Liverpool as player, as coach, as assistant manager, and as manager. The fact he's not even got a mention tonight is because of Matt McQueen. Matt McQueen played in all eleven positions. He was manager. You might think, what else could he do? What other position was there at Liverpool that he could have possibly fulfilled? Eh, board of directors. <laughs> He served on Liverpool's board of directors after being appointed in 1918. And away from Liverpool, he took up yet more positions, qualifying as a referee in 1904 <laughs> and serving as a linesman in the same season. He's literally every position you can imagine <laughs> on a football field, he has played. And also, right, what's really nice, and this is, I think, like, just to finish, uh, he was... He obviously was Scottish. He didn't start at Liverpool. He started at... Uh, well, we signed him from Leaf Athletic. He was somewhere before that. But his time at Liverpool really stuck with him. He became a passionate Liverpool fan. He sort of stayed in Liverpool for the rest of his life. And right up until his death in 1944, he was still a passionate Liverpool fan. In fact, he is almost literally still part of Anfield folklore now. Because the house that he used to live in on Kemlin Road in the Anfield suburb of Liverpool isn't there anymore. Do you know what is there? Uh, the new main stand? Not quite. The centenary stand built in 1992 uh. stands on the site of his former house. So it's literally the Liverpool Football Club expanded to take in the footprint of Matt McQueen. All 11 positions, manager, board of directors, referee, linesman, basically part of the stadium... Matt McQueen. Bloody hell. That's a start. Like, and yet, I've never heard of him. Exactly. That's what I, what I say he should, be a, he should be an Anfield hero. Do you know what I mean? There should be like a, 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 a statue of this guy. I've never heard of him before this month either. No. But, I mean, as, as great, you know, as great as John Miller's stats are, as great as Terry McDermott and all his great links are, as, as great as Jan Moby and his car chase are, <laughs> I mean, there is only we will do what no other Liverpool fans have done because we this is the way we do it, and we will celebrate Matt McQueen and put him into our A to Z. Matt McQueen, uh, yet another position for him. <laughs> M in the A to Z. Good lad. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, 
Let's move on quickly to N. Moving on to N. Um, N. Owen, I want to hear your first N. Okay, well, uh, one of mine is the one of the more underrated players in Liverpool history, actually, uh, Steve Nicholl. Yes. Um, given his kind of power and some of the club's greatest successes, um, he's not really mentioned a lot. Um, you know, right from the kind of treble season in 1983 and 1984 um, under Joe Fagan, which uh, I think was his first season, he actually took the first penalty in the Euro- uh, European Cup final um, that year. And as that was the first ever European Cup final to be decided on penalties, I believe, um, he took the first ever penalty in a European Cup final penalty shootout. Uh, and he was also the only Liverpool football club player to miss a penalty in that penalty shootout. Uh, but luckily for him, we won it anyway. Uh, he was a regular throughout the 1980s. Um, despite being a defender, he actually scored a hat-trick against Newcastle in the 87-88 season. Um, not many defenders do that these days. Um, he was um, going back to what you said about Terry McDermott. Actually, he was the Football Writers Association Player of the Year in uh, 1989. Um, which, <laughs> when I first read that, I thought, God, that's an achievement. He was actually, <laughs> but he was actually the fifth Liverpool player that decade <laughs> uh, to win it. Uh, and a slightly indelicate description, but I've said I've written here that he was because. Um, because a Liverpool player won it in 1988 and in 1990, uh, in fact, the same player, I've written that Steve Nicholl was the meat in a John Barnes sandwich. Lovely. Or perhaps that should be, really, John Barnes was the bread in a Steve Nicholl sandwich. Because if I gave you a bacon sandwich and I said, what kind of sandwich is that? You wouldn't say it was a bread sandwich, you'd say it was a bacon sandwich. Of course you would. So I guess the, the, the bit there's less of is the, is the name of a sandwich, isn't it? It's a Steve Nicholl sandwich, yeah, exactly. Hmm. I need to get to Plymouth and verify this stuff. Exactly, you should. <laughs> uh, talking of food, uh, weirdly, he was nicknamed Chopsy uh, because of how he pronounced the word chips. What? I, well, chops, presumably, was how he said him, but I'm not. he was Scottish. So I'm not quite sure how he's... Ah, I really fancy some chops. I, d- yeah, I he, would have thought that doesn't sound like a Scottish way of pronouncing chips. No, me. it doesn't. It doesn't at all. I, d- I said, like, chaps. I really fancy some chaps. Chops. Never do that accent again. <clears throat> All right, Alan Green, <laughs> calm down. Uh, <laughs> um, he finished his Liverpool career with nine major honours and then moved to the US and became a very well-respected coach with the uh, New England Revolution. Um, again, following the theme of kind of great American football club names in this feature. Um, he received the MLS Coach of the Year Award in 2002 uh, to go with his Football Writers Award, and he actually took them to the MLS Cup Final three years in a row in 2005, 2006, and 2007. Lovely. Chopsy Nickel. Chopsy Nickel, wonderful. Chopsy Nickel. Chopsy Nickel, that's, that's what we're going to call him from now on, it's great. Um, my next nomination uh, is a staggeringly decorated English footballer. Probably one of the most decorated footballers England's ever had. And yet no one really knows who he is. Uh, Mr. Phil Neal. Phil Neal. Yeah, again, sort of big Liverpool name, but everyone else seems to not really care much about him. Um, Phil Neal was one of the first signings of Bob Paisley. Um who interestingly had seen Phil Neal um, when he was at Northampton Town playing in goal. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think he was filling in in a training match um, or something like that, and he'd gone down to see how good he was at right back. Uh, and then he ended up seeing him playing in goal <laughs> because, oh. because they had an early sending off and he had to go in goal. Um, so 
<laughs> so Bob Paisley still signed him despite all that um, and uh, he joined the club and very very quickly uh, became our, our mainstay at right back um, now I'm going to go straight into the stats here because I could talk about all the games he played and this that and the other but actually the stats speak for themselves here uh, as a right back he scored 59 goals for us in a total of 650 games um, that included a run between October 1976 and September 1983 of 417 consecutive appearances. Just think that, that for a second. That's... 417. Yeah. I mean... That's, over... un... That's unthinkable these days, isn't it? Over seven years. full Seven full years. He didn't miss a single Liverpool game. And, and, and that's not just in the league. That's league and cup and Europe. I just beg his belief. And then get this. He got injured uh, for three games um, and, and a game against Manchester United. Um, he was out for three games, then came back and made another 127 consecutive appearances. Oh, man. If he had missed those three games, he must have been gutted. It, it, understandably, that is, by quite some distance, the, 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 the record for the most consecutive Liverpool games in history, by a long way. Mm. Um, oh, that, that will never be beaten, do you know what I mean? That's, no. that's, again, one of those immortal facts, like Gordon Hodgson with his hat-tricks. That is just, will never, ever be beaten. Some more stats for you, even if that's not known. He has a total of eight league titles to his name, between 76, 77, 79, 80, 82, 83, 84 and 86. Uh, four league cups in 81, 82, 83 and 84. Four consecutive league cups, I will add. Um, uh, four, he has four, Euro, four European cups, uh, All basically every European cup apart from the one in 2005, um, as well as the UEFA Cup in 1976. In fact, he scored the penalty that won the very first uh, Champions League trophy in 1977 it was his penalty that won it for us um, and then he, um, he was the only player between who played in both the 1977 and 1984 uh, cup finals both of which took place in Rome that's a good fact as well yep he, uh, he was the only player to win uh, to win all four of those trophies and be there and be starting for all of those games um, and many would argue without Haysel happening he could be the only player in history to win five European trophies. Oh, man. The only English player, sorry. The only English player to do it. Mm. The only two players who've ever done it were Real Madrid's De Stefano and Gento. Of course, they're from Real Madrid, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that is a shame. There's, there's obviously far greater um, tragedies that have, you know, happened that night, but that is... From a purely footballing level, it's a shame that kind of run had to come to an end. You know, um, it's it's a, it's an astonishing, astonishing set of statistics. From uh, you know, you want to talk about Mister Reliable in any sense of the word? That this man is the definition of it. So am I right in thinking he never won the FA Cup? He never won the FA Cup. No. That's ridiculous. That's yeah. I mean, I know Liverpool have never done massively well in the FA Cup. Um, I tell you what, he has got there. Go on. Just to, you know, further uh, throw crowns on his head. He's one of a few Liverpool players, other than Adam Lallana, I can't actually think of any of us, um, to have won the Football League trophy. Okay. Uh, he uh, guided Bolton to it when he was manager of Bolton oh. in uh, 1989. Well, that's interesting. 
So he, that's uh, yeah, he's got that. I know it's not for us, but <laughs> just you know, of the kind of two major English trophies he's missing, there's the FA Cup, and well, he's actually got the other one. He's got the um, Football League trophy. That's fascinating. Hmm. Oh, I forgot to mention, by the way, not only did he play in all four of those trophies between 77 and 84, scoring the winning penalty in the 77 Cup, he also scored the only goal in the 1984 Cup in the one-all draw. And, oh, before the shootout. Yeah, and then he scored a penalty shootout as well. He was, he was good for a, uh, a right-back, right wasn't he? For a right-back. Um, yeah. Quite frankly, his record is astonishing and has records that will never be eaten for our club. And hmm. that is Mr Phil Neal. Yeah, it's hard to beat that. Um, what I'm going to have to do is go for someone who's got something that even Phil Neal hasn't got. And so, with linguistic trepidation, I'm going to go for... Berry Nivenhoys. Berry Nivenhoys? Nivenhoys. As the debate still rages now, almost you know, 80 years later. That's how he pronounced his surname. It's spelt N-I-E-U-W-E-N-H-U-Y-S. Bloody Nora. Uh, some people say it's Nivenhoys, but it's um, apparently Nivenhoys. 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 Or, as he was quite sensibly nicknamed by Liverpool fans... Nivy. Nivy, yeah. <laughs> Nivy, yeah. Um, I can see why they did that. Uh, he was taken to by Liverpool fans very much. He signed for Liverpool in 1933, uh, one of the original kind of overseas players, um, after being spotted during a, a club tour of South Africa. Um, and over his 14-year career with the Reds, he made quite an impact not just on the fans, not just on the pitch, but on the British football press as well. One football writer went on record as saying, I rate him as being without superior... And I'm not excluding Stanley Matthews. Mm, wow. Uh, Stanley Matthews, one of the all-time greats to ever play the game. And apparently, according to some, Nivy was better. Uh, it started well for him. He chalked up two assists and a 3 win on his debut against Spurs. Um, and he quickly became a fan's favourite. What I like about this, he was South African, right? He was quite clearly South African. And yet Liverpool fans loved him so much, they demanded that he play for England. Wow. They um, were just chanting from the stands, saying, you know, he, he needs to be an England player. Unfortunately, because he didn't have any uh, English parentage, uh, he couldn't do that. But he did represent his country uh, or his new home nation in a different way uh, by joining the RAF and fighting in World War Two. Uh, during which, and I can't work out why, but this is true, during which he won the Czechoslovakian Medal of Merit. Right. And now Phil Neal doesn't have one of those, does he? No, I'll give you that. <laughs> It's about the only thing Phil Neal doesn't have. Um, he was actually... <laughs> this is a slight sad aspect to his story. He was given a testimonial in 1939, uh, which, I mean... Because, you know, back in those days... It's slightly different now, but back in those days, testimonial was at the end of a player's career to raise money for them for their retirement. It was like basically a fundraising retirement gift because you weren't guaranteed a successful or prosperous life when you stopped being a footballer yeah. back in the old days. Um, do you know how much his testimonial match raised in 1939? I'm going to guess it's like £100 or something. Well, less than 700 quid for him. <laughs> no. Uh, which, you know, that was, you know, adjusting. That's, that's a fair bit of money back then. That's still a couple hundred thousand pounds. Um, but, yeah, given, you know, what the wage situation was like, that was quite a lot because during the war, uh, players were paid in sweets and cigarettes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And poor old Nevy didn't even smoke, so that rendered half, <laughs> rendered half of his wages, obviously. <laughs> um, 
But I talked about um, talked about Matt McQueen playing in several different positions earlier. Uh, Barry Nivenhoy has actually played in several different sports. He was a bit of a sporting hero in South Africa. He didn't just play football. He played baseball as well uh, locally in Liverpool. He played golf uh, <laughs> at a semi-professional level and once even entered the British Open, sadly not quite qualifying to the proper stages. And he played tennis. Uh, and according to a substantiated urban myth, uh, <laughs> and I'm honestly not making this up, King Gustav VI of Sweden once sent a plane to the UK to pick up Nivy just to bring him back to Sweden for a game of tennis. <laughs> That's incredible. I don't I, I don't know what that tells you about him as a Liverpool player, but I couldn't not say it. That's amazing. I love that. Mm. What a great player. What a great find. Yeah. Um, and what a great name. Barry Nivenhoys. Nivenhoys. I love it. That's it. Love it. It's a shame then that we have three very good standout nominations uh, for the letter N. Um, and so my last nomination for this letter is a player I have unequivocally said on this podcast is the worst player in my lifetime to have pulled on a Liverpool shirt. Oh, I still disagree with that, but go on. It's Antonio Nunes. Nunes. Antonio oh. Nunes signed for 1.5 million from Real Madrid in the same transaction that Michael Owen went to Real Madrid for 8.5 million in what is basically the equivalent of trading in a gold-plated Mercedes and getting given a pair of old socks. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't... Um, I remember... Now... On a slightly personal note, I remember him signing. I remember Owen leaving and how devastated I was. And I mean, we're coming on to O, so I'm sure at some point he'll be coming up. And Nunes was meant to be the replacement for him in many ways. Um, And he turned up, and I've never, ever seen a player looking more lost in the Premier League outside of Ali Dia. (laughs) <laughs> oh god yeah Which that is, was soon wasn't it yeah yeah, yeah. one of the most amazing uh, Ali if you've never read the story go and read the story of Ali Deer. it's one of my favourite stories in football history um, anyway the reason I bring him up I think it's just for, there are two reasons one somehow he managed to get out of Liverpool with a Champions League winner's medal because yes. he was part of the 2005 Champions League winning squad not getting on in the final but having been on the bench um, but he has a record which has not been beaten and not been done before and has not been done since in Liverpool history as being the only player to have ever scored one goal for Liverpool which was in a cup final. His only goal for Liverpool? His only goal for Liverpool came in the 2005 uh, League Cup final in which we lost 3-2 to uh, Jose Mourinho's Chelsea where he scored uh, after coming on as a sub in extra time it was his only goal for Liverpool, and it came in that final. And no other Liverpool player in history has done that. You know what? I reckon he also might be the only Liverpool player in history to score his only goal for the club, or 100% of his goals for the club, uh, outside of 90 minutes. Possibly, yeah. You might be right. I mean, I don't have the stats for that, but I do have the facts for this one, and it is genuinely mm. true. That is a good fact. It is. It's it's the only one I have <laughs> because because otherwise he um he only hung around for for basically a, just a year and a half before eventually moving on to various clubs throughout um throughout Europe in Spain and wherever and now finds himself at Recreativo Huelva in the second division of the Spanish league which he's been at for two years. That's well, probably uh, about his level, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and he played twenty seven times for us. Managed to get away with a with a with a stat and a Champions League winners medal. I mean, not bad for eighteen months of no work. It's better than I've done. Yeah, 
just to just to put that that stat in context, for that to happen again, we would need to get to a final, which you know is trouble enough these days. But get to a final, and either currently Joe Gomez, Marco Gruich, or Kevin Stewart would have to score, and then be released. Now, there's about four variables in there, all of which are massively unlikely to happen anytime soon. This is it, isn't it? Mm. So, it's not going to happen anytime soon. We, Well, certainly not this season, but, you know. Oh, sorry, or Ajaria or TAA, I guess. Mm. They could score as well, but, but yeah, it's not, not happening, is it? Not this season, certainly. That's so, a good start. It's a great start, isn't it? So, who is our end, who is our end choice, Owen? Well, I think there can only be one man, really, Matt, can't I? I think so, well. The, the only person to ever score his only goal for Liverpool <laughs> in a car <laughs> oh, No, I, I've got to pull this now. I'm not allowing the worst player who's ever played in my lifetime to be in this team. He's not the worst ever. Oh, God, Come he on. is. He absolutely Come is. Come on. In your lifetime? He was once referred to as a ball boy by a radio interview, and I've never, ever forgotten that since. At least... Right, at least being bored boy would mean he would touch the ball. Charles Otanji couldn't even touch the ball. And given that he was the man responsible for stop it going in the net, that's not much of a... Charles Otanji played in a World Cup. That's all I'm saying. Mm. <laughs> Either way. Um, yeah, Phil Neal? Phil, Phil Neal. Welcome, sir. Phil Neal, take your place in immortality. Plastic Scousers A to Z. Um, and it rumbles on to one of the trickier letters. <laughs> Very such um, so. Oh, uh, do you want to go first or shall I? Uh, I'll go first because we've just had go one. For. We've had one jokey nomination, slightly jokey nomination, who had a really interesting fact about him. I'm going to break another. This is a young lad by the name of John Semmerbor. Oh, I remember him. John Semmerbor was a youngster back in the day where we were just growing up. Mm. He was one of the first youngsters to come through when we knew. What was going on, really? Do you know what I mean? He was one of the first like academy lads I was conscious of. And mm. I mean, he he was in and around, you know, the, the first team for for a couple for a year or so. Um, but he only ended up playing six times for us, mostly as a substitute. Um, before moving to Rotherham, um, and he sort of then ended up playing quite a lot in the uh, in the lower leagues with various mm. sides, really Crew and Bolton and Southampton and Norwich and Sheffield Wednesday. So he's you know he he got around quite a lot over the course of. Uh, his career um what there's two reasons why i've picked john Somerville. one is um during his spell with his uh, last club uh sadly he retired in 2014 um for various injury reasons um however for his last club bilson keen's dons he's gone down in history um for what they called the greatest goal in their first ever decade of football this is absolutely true. MK Dons, because obviously they haven't been around all that long since they moved from Wimbledon back in the mm. late 90s, early 2000s. Um, they voted this in 2010 as the greatest goal... No, in 2015, I think it was. As the greatest goal scored in the club's history. Um, otherwise known as the Heel of God. In which John Summerbore chips a back heel from the edge of the 18-yard box into the goal. What? Now, if you haven't seen this, go and find it on YouTube. Type Girl not Semibor, heel of God. Um, it's a staggering goal. So yeah, he's he's got one fact on him. As I say, he retired at only thirty-one, very sadly through injury. 
Um, oh, that's a shame. But speaking of injury, the main reason I bring it up is because of a story of what happened while he was still a youngster at Liverpool. Um, at the age of just 20 years old, um, whilst out um, at a nightclub with his friends in Liverpool in October of 2003, uh, two gunmen walked into the nightclub and he was shot in the bum. He was shot in the bum. He was actually shot in what I refer to on the BBC website as the buttocks by a gunman armed with a small calibre pistol. Um, now, as, as stories go, I don't think there are many Liverpool players who have been shot in, a bu- in the bum before. No. That is, that mean, is quite a unique stat. Jan Moby was in a high-speed car chase and even he avoided being shot in the bum. <laughs> yeah, I mean... And let's, let's face it, Jan Moby, there's a lot of bum <coughs> to aim at, do you know what I mean? Yeah, Donald Stanley was a very slender chap, so... Um, yeah. You know, and obviously this isn't a funny this wasn't a funny thing because obviously it's like, you know, it's a scary thing for people to walk in with guns into a nightclub. However, mm. he was shot in the bum. Shot <laughs> in the bum. It's silly every time I say it. So, um yeah. <laughs> That's why that's why he nominated him. Shot in the bum. Yeah, you definitely unique there. Heal of the God shot in the bum. I've just watched the Heal of God. It is bloody extraordinary. Isn't it? It's it's this is like a volley as well, isn't it? It's just tell you what, if Mikita had done that from Man United or whatever, Mkhitaryan, however you say his name, people would be going mad. When it's John at seven ball for MK Dons, everyone looks the other way. Greatest goal in their club's history, mate. Mm. Tell you what, he's got also one of the weirdest surnames we've ever had for our club. Worse than Nivy. Nivenoys. Nivenoys, yeah. Given that Semibor is, you know, from Liverpool. Yes. Like, where is that surname from? I'd love to know. Mm, interesting. Um, well, how can how can I top that? Um, a player with about the same number of games to his name, I think. Um, Steve Grizovic. Oh, Grizovic. Oh, Grizovic. Um, and I can tell you where that surname's from. That is Yugoslavian. Lovely. Um, because he was actually offered uh, to play international football for Yugoslavia, but turned them down, uh, which meant he never actually played international football for anyone. In fact, he is considered uh, one of the best goalkeepers never to play for England. And I was wondering, can we think of any others? Like, in terms of great English goalkeepers at the moment, I mean, you could probably count them on, like, one finger, but I can't think of many kind of really great English goalkeepers that haven't had a chance for England in the last few years, such as been our desperation. Can you? No, I, I absolutely not, no. The only one I could even get close to coming up with was Alex McCarthy, and he's not really in the same standard at all. Um, but yeah, Steve Grizovic. Uh, he only made five appearances for Liverpool, and he conceded four goals on his debut. <laughs> oh no. So it was an inauspicious start. Um, but uh, he did have quite, obviously five games, not a lot to talk about there. But he had quite an interesting career after leaving Anfield, so I'll mention a few highlights from that, uh, particularly at Coventry. Uh, where he became, to my knowledge, the only goalkeeper to have played for Liverpool to have also scored a professional goal. Oh, wow. Um, obviously, still no... I, I mentioned this last month. No Liverpool goalkeeper has ever scored for Liverpool, but he is the only Liverpool goalkeeper, I think, to have scored for anyone. Uh, scoring for Coventry against that team again, Sheffield Wednesday, uh, back in 1986. Um his playing career spanned an enormous 23 years. Um, he made his debut at Chesterfield in 1977, eventually retiring at Coventry in 2000. Um, 
In fact, he actually played his 600th Coventry game against Liverpool. Um, and like his 713th overall. Um, <clears throat> this makes him an incredibly exclusive group of players. And again, uh, so a group so exclusive, I'm not sure anyone else will ever join it. Um, of only four players to play top flight English football in four different decades. Wow. Uh, it's him, Stanley Matthews, uh, John Lukic and Peter Shilton. And it's only Grizovic and John Lukic who have managed it not only in four different decades, but two different millennia as well. Um, obviously, Grizovic hung up his gloves in the year 2000. John Lukic kept going until 2001, um, both of them starting in the 70s. So, um, yeah, that's quite an impressive start, I think. Um, and also, um, I mentioned uh, Barry Nivenhoy's uh, non-footballing exploits. Uh, Steve Grizovic... Um, uh, obviously, Nivy played uh, baseball, golf, and tennis. <clears throat> Grusevic completes his set now. He also had a brief cricketing career, <laughs> uh, playing for Shropshire, where, uh, among his other uh, minimal achievements, he bowled out legendary West Indian batsman Sir Viv, Sir Viv Richards. Wow. Uh, taking five wickets in total. So that's one for each game he ever played for Liverpool. <laughs> I mean, would you rather have five wickets or five Liverpool games? I would rather have five Liverpool games. Mm. But if I was a cricketer who didn't really care about Liverpool Football Club, <laughs> I'd probably take the wickets. Mm. Probably, yeah. Mm. What about you? Uh, um, yeah, probably the Liverpool games. No, five wickets in a match is a good, it's a good turnover. It's yeah. I don't. I know that's not that's not in a match. That's in his entire career. Oh, right, sorry. Harsh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Just had one very, had one very good match. That was it. Mm. Yeah, that was it. He just. Re- all who's ahead. Yeah, so. Um, my next and final nomination uh, is actually quite a personal one. I mean, this man would, would have been on a nomination no matter what the letter. Uh, it just so happens he happens to be here on um, on the letter O, which is quite a, you know, a sparse letter when it comes to players. Um, but this is basically my childhood hero, and it's Michael Owen. Oh. Michael Owen. Uh, a man with a goal ratio of 1-2 in two for Liverpool, bursting onto the scene in early 1997, becoming the youngest ever goal scorer for us at uh, 17 years and something-something days. I can't, I didn't write it down. Um, I'm sure you can probably remember. I'll have a look. Um, however, he um, it was on his debut as he came on against Wimbledon with a penalty. Um, so being handed the penalty duties at just 17 is... is gives you something of an indication as to just how highly rated this guy was mm. when he when he joined the club and when he was onto the scene. He also scored in his own European debut against Celtic uh, in 19, early 1998. Uh, so this was a man who, who knew where the back of the net was from an extraordinarily early age. Um, the reason I um, fell in love with Liverpool, I remember sitting there with my mum on the sofa watching the Argentina World Cup game in the knockout stages and I just see this this young striker with the number 18 on his back picking up the ball from the halfway line and just running at defenders and skinning them like they weren't even there as the commentator just built up this tension of, oh my God, what is this kid doing? He's 18 years old. Look at this. This is astonishing. He's still going. He's still going. He's chipped the keeper. He scored a wonderful goal. And... Michael Owen had burst onto the international scene as one of the greatest players in the world. And from that moment on, I fell in love with Liverpool. 
because I wanted to know everything about this player who played for my club, and I wanted to, and I, and I followed him so closely, and every time he scored, I was delighted, and I wanted to be like him, and I wanted to be in that weird drama, BBC drama thing he did, where he was the star of, it came out of a poster. Zero um, to Hero. There you go. Yes, um, that was amazing. There you go. Uh, he, um, he, he, he inspired me so much, and I was so proud um, of, of him and the club. Um, and he, um, well, a couple more things for you to note. Um, he was the youngest player to play for England in the 20th century when he made his debut. That's a good fact. At the age of 18. That has obviously now been beaten by, I think Marcus Rashford beat that uh, most recently. But yeah, at the time, and in the 20th century, he was the youngest ever player to play for England. Um, the only Liverpool player to ever win the Ballon d'Or, ever, uh, to oh. be to be called the greatest player in the world when Michael Owen was. Um, and he was an extraordinary goal-scoring talent who could could do everything. He just had the ability to score goals no matter what position he was in. Um, he's got a perfect hat-trick, which I think was only then next done by Peter Crouch. Um, I remember the Crouch one, yeah. Yeah, Michael Owen was the player before him to do it, and it hasn't actually been done since for a, by a Liverpool player. So Peter Crouch technically is the last player to score a perfect hat-trick for Liverpool. But wow. Michael Owen was the player before him to do it. Um, unfortunately, uh, his his career was sort of... Well, what happened in 2004 uh, when Rafa came in and Michael Owen was, was, was pushed, to, pushed to the side uh, because Rafa decided that he wanted to play Jibril Cisse and Milan Baros up front mm. uh, instead. Um, and it was clear that Michael Owen was going. Um so he ended up leaving for Real Madrid and as we've discussed before the deal that took the pair of disgusting socks to Liverpool instead and um, <laughs> I don't, that's, that's going to stick now it's quite sad really um, but he, the moment he went to Real Madrid his career kind of curtailed horribly uh, through a combination of some serious injuries particularly at Newcastle where he ended up but also he didn't really just get he didn't really get game time at Real Madrid he couldn't get ahead of Ronaldo who was obviously playing there um, he was stuck out in the left wing and he just didn't work out for him. And he, only, he only ended up spending a season out at Real Madrid. He scored a fair bit of that season, didn't he? He did, but it just never really worked for him. Uh, he didn't really fit in, didn't like the language, you know, was struggling to acclimatise. And in the end, Newcastle came calling and he signed for him a year later. Um, and um, he, um, after several years, lighted years of injury at uh, Newcastle, of course, he left in 2009, and where did he end up, Owen? Man, you're bloody knighted. I mean, I remember when he left for Real Madrid talking about wanting to win big trophies, which was ironic because he won the Champions League that year. Yeah. Uh, I remember I was so upset and devastated that I cut him out of my poster on my wall. Oh, Matt, that's heartbreaking. <laughs> I know. I was crying, and I got a pair of scissors to my poster with all my favourite Liverpool players on it, and I had to cut him out and leave the poster up with an empty gap. Oh, that's, that's how that I was. Um, I mean, aside from the kind of weird implications of that being like a really Stalinist thing to do, <laughs> like that's really, oh, that's really upsetting. It's like taking down, like it's like taking down pictures of someone after you've broken up with them. It's, it's yeah, it it's is. Felt like I don't want to see them anymore. You know, it's like cutting out your ex-wife of all the family photos. So, um, yeah. But um, for him to go from my hero to playing for the enemy was was a very bitter pill to swallow. Um, 
uh, and in the end, uh, after a few years at Man United, in which he scored maybe one famous goal in that game where they beat City 4-3. Oh, I remember the 99th minute or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was a crazy game. It's all he basically did for them. Then played for Stoke for a year and then went to buy horses and ride horses and stuff, which is what he does now and does a bit of terrible punditry on BT Sport. Yeah, he's not great as a pundit. Although, did you see him doing the FA Cup draw the other week? No, I didn't. He looked so bloody happy to be doing it. Every time he pulled a ball out, he would stare right down the camera and smile like from ear to ear. It was adorable. <laughs> I do, I do. I, I, it's hard for me to hate him, but I, I, you know, it's like as I say, it's like seeing someone you, you know, your ex-girlfriend who's now you, you're over them now, but, but you know, you're just happy it's... that they're okay. But you deep down, you're still a little bit resentful and hurt. Yeah, you still remember that they took the, like you don't miss them so much anymore. But you do still remember the time they actually took the decision to hurt you. Yeah. Even if they didn't mean to hurt you by doing it, they did it, and it did. And and for me, like I felt exactly the same about him as you did. And for me as well, he had my name. You know, very, very I, true. For my tenth birthday, I got a Liverpool shirt with Owen Ten printed on the back, and it was perfect. And like he was, yeah. He was my hero, and I remember crying the day he left us. And yeah. but he is—he is probably still the best player we've ever had with a surname beginning with O. I would say. I mean, Shea, Shea Ojo's got a lot to live up to. Yeah, I mean, the record of 158 and 297 goals, um, wise, uh, is 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 still you know a remarkable feat, and um, yeah, he's still one of the greatest players of his generation. And he had remarkable feet as well. Let's mm. say that. They did a lot. Uh, he was 17 years and 143 days. There you go. And he scored his first goal for Liverpool. Uh, well, there's only one one other player I can say, really. Um, I mean, there's a couple of others, beginning with O. None of them really did an awful lot for Liverpool. And if it was odd to be writing an A to Z uh, nomination for a player still at the club, uh, but there's not a lot of those. Divakarigi. <laughs> um, there we go. Has had a topsy-turvy Liverpool career. Um, just a quick rundown of his past. He arrived as the next big thing. Immediately went out on loan. He was on fire for Lille. Then he suddenly was a bit shit for Lille. Then he came back to Anfield still as the next big thing. Then he was shit for us and became synonymous with just rubbish footballers. Then he scored his first goal, his second goal and his third goal all in the same game. And then he actually became a really important player. Then he got ignored at the start of this season. Then he got picked and then he proved he's really important again. Um... And now Marnie's back and he slipped down pecking order again. He's had a really kind of up and down career. He's got the sort of heart rate monitor uh, fortunes. Um, however, despite, uh, as I say, some really important goals last season, basically took us to the Europa League final. Um, Matt, this is the A to Z. This is Plastic Scousers. A series of important goals isn't really enough, is it? We need something that makes him great. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what it is. Oh, well. Divakarigi has a dolphin named after him. <laughs> you tell, yes, of course he has. Now, I've mentioned this before. Um, in Boudjavine Boudvine Sea Park in Bruges in Belgium, uh, the calf of Roxanne, 29, uh, was named after Origi uh, because Origi, the day before uh, the calf was born, they weren't sure if it was a male or a female, um, Origi became Belgium's youngest ever international goalscorer in a 1-0 win over Russia at the 2014 World Cup. I remember that which sent uh, Belgium through to the next round of World Cup. In fact, I think it sent them through to the last eight, possibly. Um, 
And uh, here's a stat. Uh, Arigi, uh, the dolphin, not the footballer, was the first dolphin calf to be born in the sea park for a staggering 11 years. Wow. Now, I've mentioned the Arigi dolphin thing on this podcast before, haven't I? You have. It was only for this feature that I started looking into it. And I've it, I've got some really sad news, Matt. Arigi the dolphin is dead. Oh, no. In fact... <laughs> Arigi the dolphin died. I shouldn't laugh. This is horrible. <laughs> oh, God. You thought Michael Owen leaving was sad. Arigi the dolphin died on the 4th of July, 2014. Oh, God. Arigi the dolphin only lived to about a week old and then it died. Oh, no. That's heartbreaking. That's terrible. He had a dolphin named after him and it only lived for a week. <laughs> That's Don't like... laugh! <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That's so bitterly sad. But also, mm. oh dear. Let's hope it's not a metaphor for his career. Well, I mean, <laughs> he's already had more than a week in the spotlight, so I think he's doing all right so far. Don't but... remember though. Don't forget, sorry. When Origi signed for us, he was voted one of the worst players in League One for that season. What? When he signed for us the first time, or when he's he came back? When remote? he came back, yeah. Bloody hell. <laughs> So talk about top-down career, up-down career. Yeah, belly up, I like him. Yeah, there we go. So I'd like to, I'd like to just have a brief, maybe a minute silence as a push of it, but yeah, ten-second silence for Arigi the dolphin. Okay. And at no point did I try to hold a laugh in throughout that whole 10 seconds. The dolphin shall not grow old as we that are left and are not dolphins grow old. (laughs) Age shall not weary it, nor the years condemn because it's a dolphin. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember a the dolphin. That was beautiful. You are. Um, Owen, shall we give... uh, the O nomination for uh, Plastic Gas A to Z to your namesake. Uh, well, I think we should give it in tribute to Rigi the Dolphin. I think we should give it to the Dolphin. Yeah, but the Dolphin hasn't scored a 1 in 2 ratio for Liverpool. That is my only concern. Yeah, but. I don't know. I don't think Michael Owen could jump through a hoop in a swimming pool. Well, we haven't asked him. True. Let's give it to Michael Owen. <laughs> Michael Owen, thank you for inspiring me to love Liverpool as much as I do. And for our end of season review, I endeavour to uh, to get in touch with Michael Owen and find out if he could jump for a hoop. So Go for it. Let's do it. Um, right. Um, now let's move on. Coming towards the end of the podcast, but first, Owen, I think you have a poem for us. Yeah. Well. Um. Yeah. Brief return to poetry corner that was a regular feature last year. Um. Because of course January is Burns Night, um, and so I thought for this brief dalliance uh, back into the world of poetry, I would adapt one of Rabbi Burns's more famous poems, uh, My Love is Like a Red Red Rose, uh, to be about Liverpool, specifically to be about Liverpool in the month of January if I could, or more generally uh, to be about that horrible feeling of you know being proud to be a Liverpool fan, being uh, joyous to be a Liverpool fan, and then always, or nearly always, seeing it thrown back in your face, seeing all your hope and pride dissipate and yet still being a Liverpool fan and not giving up on them just because 
ultimately it runs deep my love is like a red red shirt that's worn with hope and pride oh my love's like a bright young fan who's shouting on their side as loud as that young copite cheers so deep in love am i and will be past the annual point we blow our chance sky high our title chance sky high oh lads and another cup run stilted i will still love them men of red when our top four push has wilted so fare thee well, another year, farewell, another season. I will still wear that red, red shirt, if love's my only reason. That's really good. Hey, you. That's a great That's adaptation. A, what? That's a great adaptation, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, it's sort of based on Burns, so I can't take all the credit. But. No, but you, it was really well done. Like, I, I don't think anyone who hasn't heard that poem before would... would not know that it was Burns or whatever, you know. Yeah. Well, thank know. You. So yeah, impressive work. Oh. Um and finally for the Plastic Scouts podcast, it's been a bit of a it's been a bit of a dull one, let's be frank. Not in terms of performance, we've been great, but in terms of <laughs> uh but in terms of you know, the general atmosphere and mood um of the club throughout the month of January. Um so we didn't feel it necessarily fit to do something silly and fun. Um plus let's be honest, uh, now we've got February and March with very few games. So Owen and I have got to come up with some features. Yeah, there's nothing worse is there than getting to literally not even the end of January and you know exactly how many games you've got left in the season. This is it. And the That's answer... a really depressing thing to know, do you know what I mean? It's like, tr- no, it's like yeah. knowing when you're gonna die. <laughs> oh god. As if we could get any bleaker. Um, so yeah, so yeah, we're going to bring back quite a few. We're going to definitely bring back some features and add some new ones in over the next couple of months to um, to fill the time in many ways. Um, but one last thing, um, Owen last month uh, asked me to bring along um, a little history of um, Liverpool-related video games because you were talking about uh, Kevin Keegan's uh, player manager. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I ended up doing a bit of digging and realised there's quite a lot. Um, so, Owen, for your delectation, here is a little rundown of the history of Liverpool FC-related video games. And it starts in 1988 um, with a man who we briefly mentioned, um, well, let's be honest, you, you and I have been arguing about him since 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 we did it, but um, Emden Hughes International Soccer, <laughs> 1988 for the ZX Spectrum, uh, Commodore 64, Amstrad, C4C and many, many other computer consoles, um, was actually quite good uh, as a very first uh, Liverpool-related video game. Um, in fact, one of the first football games to allow fluid movement, fluid passing, fluid tackling, um, which when you consider that all the controllers at that time were just one joystick and a button, uh, it's it's quite an impressive feat. Um, I would recommend having a look at it if you get the chance. Um, in fact, I will mention I tried to play as many of these as I could, uh, at least try and you know play like five minutes of them to get an idea as to how they played. So, mm. how did you manage to do that? Um, cheating. Uh, on various various online. You can go on various online browsers basically, and if you Google play X save name game online. You can probably find something somewhere, or oh, if not, you can download emulators and stuff and do it that way. Um, yeah. But that's illegal, and you shouldn't do it. So don't do it. Shouldn't do that. No, uh, no of course not. Um, now, uh, Emily Hughes, of course, is a player we've, we've talked about before. He does actually have another video game uh, named after him. But this one's a little bit more weird. This is uh, again for the Spectrum Commodore Amstrad. This is 1990s Emily Hughes Arcade Quiz. 
Uh, now I can't explain. I can't explain quite what Emlyn Hughes has to do with this game, because it's basically just an arcade quiz, like you get in a like a pub, right? So right. you just have random questions come up about whatever, and you bet fake money or whatever it is that you you sort of have in the game. But for randomly, Emlyn Hughes is asking the questions. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely no reason whatsoever. It's 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 ridiculous. I don't understand why he's in it. So he's like Dale Winton. Kind of, but, it, but Emily Hughes was never on telly doing, doing a show about running around a supermarket. Yeah, sadly, that would have been good. Exactly, and he might have made him choose it for H and our bloody A to Z. Um, can I just you... point out, as, as you're still mentioning the A to Z, can I just say, do you know who, do you know who signed Gordon Hodgson for Liverpool? I don't know. Matt McQueen. Oh my God, that's incredible. Yeah, see, just to further cement his place. Carry on. <laughs> I'm bitter and jealous about that. But yeah, um, it, it, yeah, it has nothing to do with... And the funny thing is, the questions don't have anything to do with football either. <laughs> so what? Just like general knowledge? Yeah. I can't explain why he uses in it. Um, <laughs> it's so bizarre. So, um, but in that same year, 1990, um, one of our all-time great heroes, uh, one of the, you know, one, many argue to be the greatest player ever to play for Liverpool, also had uh, two video games out. In Kenny Dalglish's soccer manager and Kenny Dalglish's soccer match. Um, uh, in the soccer manager game, you play as Dalglish, managing any team from the top four English divisions. Um, in this, he gives you helpful hints, such as "Don't take it easy." That's that's it. That's the only screenshot I could find of the whole game. Hey, it, you know, won us for league. He won us the league. We're not <laughs> taking it easy. It's that sort of coaching. Uh, he came back and won us the Carling Cup. Well, thankfully, his coaching was better than his football playing in video game terms, because Soccer Match was one of the worst football games ever made. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. It was a one, one review would give it just 5% out of 100. That's, uh, that's damning. It was, I've, I've, uh, yeah, I did play this, and it is appallingly terrible. Um, <laughs> it's basically impossible to score from close than about 30 yards in. Um, the players move, like, they, they are so ridiculously slow, it's unbelievable. And it's just, it's just a mess. It's just <laughs> sorry, Kenny, but this isn't your finest hour. So, Aww. yeah, unfortunately, Kenny Dalglish's history of video games isn't quite as good as his playing. So, moving on, um, and we go from one terrible game to possibly the worst one in this list. Um, now. I may or may not have been quite vocal so far about my not particular fondness of Graham Souness, despite what he's done for the club. So mm. it, be, it is with great pleasure that I announce Graham Souness's Vector Soccer, released in 1991 on the Um Oh, and I, I recommend you look this up now. Atari's uh, Graham Souness's Vector Soccer is it has to be seen to be believed. It is. It is. I can't quite explain. It's a 3D football game. Imagine what people in the 1980s thought the future would look like. Um, there's, there's sort of triangles who run around on the pitch, but you can't really see where the ball is and where you are and who's who. Uh, it, all the pla- it, it, it just makes absolutely no sense. And Why are their legs that shape? <laughs> this is my point. <laughs> what? This is a Graham Souness is on the front cover. What the hell is this? <laughs> None of this is made up at all. This genuinely exists. Oh my god! I think I'm getting a brain aneurysm just looking at it. This was this was video games in 1991, Owen. Apparently, <laughs> dearie me. Um, yeah, for for those of you who who can't who aren't watching and looking this up, but you are basically Owen. Would you like to describe what you're looking at? It's like a series of kind of 
players made out of various different triangles, sort of like those toys you get in a cracker where you have to try and make different shapes out of the plastic polygons. Uh, kicking a football around, but well, I say kicking, stabbing? Yeah. They look bloody lethal. You get tackled by one of them, you'll have lacerations the size of Albania. Like, and then they just seem to all morph and, like, vanish inside each other. Not, not inside each other, that's a badly phrased <laughs> <laughs> choice of words. Um, I can't explain what this is. No. I just recommend anyone listening, please go and look out Graham Sunis' Vector Sucker. This is Graham Sunis' contribution to video games. It's like some weird, um, like, 3D visualisation of something you do in ICT in, like, in the 90s when you kind of, you've drawn a picture and you just have to try and, like, you turn it into, like, a, you know what I mean? You just It's like the shadow effect on Microsoft Word or something <laughs> yeah, like that. It's appalling, isn't it? Yeah. So, um... Let's move on from that. <laughs> Let's move on from that and talk about um, a game that came out the year after for the same console in John Barnes's European football. Um, John Barnes on the cover, looking a bit weird, sort of kissing a, uh, in the box art. He's sort of kissing a cup in a very weird animatronic way. I can't really explain it. Uh, this is actually quite an average football game for the time. Um, it's not particularly much to write home about it, um, which is kind of all right when you think of some of the crap that we've already sifted through. Um, for John, to John Barnes's legacy in video game terms has held up pretty pretty well. Hmm. Um, you know, he take that and leave with his head held high because you know with these sponsorship deals where you get your face planted on the front of a game, most of the time they have no idea what they're signing up to. <laughs> so you take a decent game. To be fair, I don't I don't think Graham Sunes could have had any idea what he was signing up to because even nowadays in 2017 with the advent of technology that allows me to turn my lights on just by walking up my driveway. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, so, following that from 1992, 1993, of course, was the year of Kevin King's player manager, as we have already discussed. Now, um, as I mentioned before, I tried to play every single game on this list, um, if I could possibly do so, and I got and this is one of those that I managed to find. Um, however, I couldn't get past the menus. Ah. Not, I genuinely, not because not because it was broken, because I couldn't figure out what the hell any of them meant. <laughs> I just there was just a load of funny pictures. If you go if you, you do go and find this game, there's just a load of funny pictures that mean nothing and a really weird gurning picture of Kevin Keegan. Um, and I and I spent that two minutes looking through all these menus trying to get a game to start and trying to work out how to get teams on the pitch. In the end I just gave up. <laughs> so I can't recommend it, sadly. What's it called? I wanna... Kevin Keegan's player manager. 1993, oh, course, yeah. released on the SNES, the first of these games on this list to actually be released on a video game console, as opposed to on the PCs or Spectrum Commodores of the time. So, that's yeah, that is, a, that is a weird cover. It is it. It's it, it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre thing. Um, however, if you want to talk about weirdo in my this this is quite honestly not only the weirdest Liverpool-related video game I could find. This is quite possibly the weirdest football game I could find. Um, of all the players who played with us during the sort of early 2000s, to have a football game named after them, name the least likely you can think of. Uh, Bernard Diomedi. No, it's weirder than that. Bruno Sheru. No. He's a New Zidane, you know. <laughs> He's a New Zidane, you know. Um, is it... Gary McAllister. No, that would be a much, much, much... All of these would be far more sensible options 
Then I only said Gary McAllister because I feel bad he never even got mentioned in the end debate earlier. That's right, another one who sadly missed out. Um, no, none of them are as weird as Sean Dundee's World Club Football. Sean Dundee. 1997, released on MS-DOS. Um, I can't... I, what? <laughs> Sean Dundee has a video game. Sean Dundee! Sean Dundee... What? Yeah. All right, and, and I, so as I said, I tried to find and tried to play at least a little bit of all of these. I could not find... Not only could I not find anywhere to play the game, I couldn't find any images or videos or photos of any of it. I literally could only find the box art and the disc. That's all I could find. Are we sure it exists? This is this is my next question. I'm not certain it actually exists or whether it was just a concept, but all the evidence I could find said that this was a game that was actually packaged and released. But, I mean, if anyone out there listening has got a copy, please, please send it in, because I, I want to play this game. <laughs> I want to know what the hell's going on. Sean Dundee is a video game. <laughs> I want to play this game. This looks amazing. Sean Dundee's World Club Football released in 1997. Like, it could literally just be nothing to... Like, the game could literally just be kind of picking kit, and I think I would still want to play it just because it's with Sean Dundee. Yeah. I mean... I don't know. I was speechless when I found this. Speechless. So, there we go. Um, moving on now, actually, because we kind of come out of the older, older games and more towards the turn of the millennium. Um, and actually, you've got a mobile game now. Not a mobile game of sorts, but a, a Game Boy Advance game. Um, and actually, it's one of yours and mine's favourite players. Um, Stephen Gerrard had a video game. Did he? He had two. Um, oh. Stephen Gerrard's Total Soccer in 2002, released for the Game Boy Advance, um, which I've written like Sensible Soccer. Do you remember Sensible Soccer? I think we all do, right? Yes, yeah, vaguely, yeah. It's the far, very fast-paced, very addictive, you know, superbly made game. It's mm. like that, but, but but a bit shit, <laughs> sadly. Um, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, he was also on the cover of a game called Pure Football, which, again, was a bit shit. So, Steven Gerrard's video game career, again, not very strong. Hmm. But, so, well, you can't have everything. And he had pretty much everything else. Yeah, apart from a Premier League title and a good video game named after him. Yeah. So there, so there we go. Um, and then moving on to 2003, and actually this is one, Owen, you might remember. This is the Club Football Series. Do you remember the Club Football Series at all? Was it like a, a, a football game designed for each club? Kind of That's absolutely right. There were 22 different games in all that focused on an individual club. Um, Liverpool were one of those teams they were also you know the big teams like Real Madrid Barcelona Bayern Munich Borussia Dortmund Ajax you know depending on where you were uh, but there was also Birmingham Villa and Leeds if you if you were so inclined <laughs> so there we go um, wow yeah 22 yeah. different versions made in all Liverpool of course included um, sadly the games were utter bilge but I'm not surprised if they're classing Birmingham Villa and Leeds alongside Real Madrid hmm Unfortunately, they, yeah. They strike me as being made by people who don't know much about football. Football. <laughs> so, um, one of the great things about it was you could put yourself in the game and play alongside your team. Um, however, and get this, you could only play one full season. What happened at the end of it? It's it. It was the end. That was it. You completed the game. Pretty much. And when and you, and this isn't like a game sort of on the spectrum or you know the old really old consoles. This came out on the PS2 and the Xbox. 
I've I've just looked this up. I do remember this now. Mm. Just to just to put into context of how, you know how recent this is. There's a version of Digimon CC and Harry Kewl on the front cover. There is, I know. This is. Yeah, this. Oh, I'm getting nostalgic for like Match Magazine in the early noughties now. I remember this. I know, right? Isn't it? Isn't it interesting? Um, however, please don't play it because it is terrible. For um, we're getting towards the end, but I wanted to kind of bring up Pro Evolution Soccer because I don't know how much do you know about Pro Evolution Soccer as a series. Have you ever played any of them? Or? Uh, not to my knowledge. No. Okay, so basically they're very famous for not having licenses for games. For teams oh, and matches. That's right. Yeah, it's like North London. Yes. Well, this is it. Stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, like you know, whereas FIFA has all the licenses, so they can do all the major teams, major leagues, that kind of thing. Uh, Pro Evolution Soccer's had to had a bit of a history of making things up, um, and sometimes a bit a bit unusual. Most famously in Pro Evolution Soccer Two, um, in which uh, such famous teams as um, Manchester United were called Aragon, um, West Ham were called Lake District. That's not a joke. Uh, and Liverpool were called Europort. Right, Europort I understand, because it's got a major European port. West Ham is nowhere near the Lake District. <laughs> Aragon's in Spain. This is it, isn't it? It's what br- the hell? Yeah, Provision Soccer 2. Genuinely brilliant. Um, so that's. I just thought I should mention that in, uh, in our little Liverpool video game rundown. Um I want to, just before we finish, we're going to our last one now, but I want to give some honourable mentions. So these are other football video games that I thought were really funny, but not necessarily about Liverpool, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So I'm just going to give, quickly give you a few of those. Starting with, so we've got Brian Clough's Football Fortunes, uh, that was a video game that came with a full-on like, uh, board, like board, counters and fake money, and you used the game to work out stats and then played it in a card, and that would depend on the outcome of your matches, and then yeah, you do fun. stats. Yeah, it's kind of this kind of hybrid thing. Apparently it didn't work, though, from what I was reading. Oh. Um, Peter Shilton's Handball Maradona. Uh, I think you've made that up. Nope, I have not at all. Look, you can look this up yourself. Uh, the entire game is you playing Peter Shilton in goal. It was renamed by Shilton himself after what happened at the 86 World Cup. <laughs> that is not None of this is made up. Wow. Um, oh, this is a good one. Uh, Go Go Beckham Adventures on Soccer Island. <laughs> no way is that. This is 100%. I've actually played this one. And it's, like, and it's, a, it's surprisingly good. Go Go Beckham Adventures on Soccer Island. Yeah. Come on, you've got to look these up. Um, uh, this was released in 2002 on the Game Boy Advance. Oh my god, that is... Wow. Yep. That looks amazing. <laughs> it's David Beckham in a Mario-style game. Um, as I say, it doesn't look anything like David Beckham, but the game's actually surprisingly fun. Yeah. I was playing it for a good 10-15 minutes thinking, I'm quite enjoying this. Um, uh, then there's Chris Kamara's Street Soccer, uh, which was released in 2000 for the PlayStation, which is known unanimously by the world of video games as the worst football game ever made. Um, Chris Kamara, by the way, um, obviously we now know him as being the guy, your funny pundit on TV. Mm. When he when he did this game, he was just an average midfielder for a league for a championship side, Bradford. Oh, really? He wasn't he... Chris Kamara, Chris Kamara? Kamara. No, no. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was just some random player for Bradford. Um, but the game was so bad, it was impossible to score. You literally couldn't score a goal. You couldn't score? No, you literally couldn't score a goal. <laughs> That's how bad the game was. It was totally broken. Um, there's also Red Card in 2002, which, again, you might remember. and It was in the same era as club football. Um it was a football game in which it had fighting and terrible tackling were encouraged and earned you points and skills so you could do power-ups and ridiculous tricks. I do remember that. Yep, red card. Yeah. I, always wanted to, I always wanted to play it, but my parents wouldn't let me. 
Because <laughs> I was too young. Um, oh, here's a good one. Dundee's European Challenge. Now, this wasn't Sean Dundee's uh, follow-up game. Uh, this is um, a game that came out um, in which you took Dundee uh, and took them to try and beat the rest of Europe and win the European Championship. Uh, this came out in 1986, 18 years after Dundee had last been in Europe. Say that again. So, so Dundee, uh, it was a game in which you tried to win the European Cup with Dundee. It came out in 1986, which was 18 years after the last time Dundee had even been in Europe. Wow. Right? The, the game hints, and I'm not kidding, the game hints included, try to, sw- try to strengthen your squad as quickly as you can. <laughs> that was the hint. They say, your team is shit, we've put you in Europe. Now hurry up and get it done. That seems unfair, doesn't it? That just seems cruel. Oh, that really made me laugh, actually, when I read that. <laughs> um, and Gary Lineker's Super Skills, um, it, there was a set of four games which Gary Lineker sponsored, which were, all right, fairly average football games. But there was also a Super Skills training game. Now, why is that funny? Because you get to make Gary Lineker work out in his pants. That's quite prophetic, actually, isn't I it? I know, isn't it, just? Yeah. So, I thought that was worth mentioning. That's a sign of things to come. Um, and my last honourable mention is Ali McCoy's director of football. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? That that sounds like the worst detective series ever. <laughs> director of football. Um, this is a football management sim, which is weird for two reasons. One, McCoy's just still a player and wouldn't become a manager for another ten years. Uh, <laughs> and two, it gave you the very explicit opportunity to avoid tax. So McCoy's put his face on a game which you could tax dodge in. That's weird. Yeah, isn't that brilliant? Isn't that brilliant? Ah, uh, so that was fun. That, I, those are some of my horrible video game mentions. Who comes up with these ideas? I don't even know. Um, however, my last game, um, it's only, this is only last by chronological order. Um, however, uh, I'm going to bring up Alan Hansen's Sports Challenge, uh, which was released in 2007 for the PlayStation 2, the PC and the Wii. Um, it's a sports quiz game. Um, so you sort of answer questions and Alan Hansen is there to kind of give you encouragement and advice. Um, however, I would recommend you look this up, Owen, because the digital model of Hansen uh, looks like something out of The Exorcist. Uh, the voice acting is atrocious, and one reviewer called it an abomination of monstrous proportions. What's he called? Alan Hansen? Sports Challenge. Um, yeah, so if we're talking. So, what I think we can surmise from a lot of this is that a lot of Liverpool players have put their name on some garbage video games. Yeah, I think that's. That's probably a good conclusion, Trump. I think that's in a fitting way to end this month's podcast. In a way, a, it is. A lot of Liverpool players have put their names to some absolute garbage. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. However, there was there were, there is some light in the end of those tunnels, so... There is. Um, Can I leave you with one final statistic? Not related to video games, but... No problem at all. Just because I can't let the podcast end without mentioning this. Uh, we spoke briefly earlier about uh, different Liverpool t- uh, different sides Liverpool are faced with a, an and... In their name, there have actually been only three. Do you know what they are? Uh, Having at Waterloo is definitely one. That is. Dagenham and Redbridge. Nope. Oh, okay. I don't know uh, the other two then. Uh, one of them's you should get is Brighton and Hove Albion. Oh yeah, of course. Um, in fact, I might be seeing them again next year. Um, and the other one I won't expect you to get. It was a Wrexham and District Football Club. Uh, which we played once in December 1895 as a testimonial for their secretary Arthur Lee. Wow, that's an amazing fact. Good research. Mm. 
You're welcome. Live research on the podcast. Live research. Um, so yeah, that about wraps it up, I think. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of the uh, Plastic Scouts podcast. Sorry it's been a bit of a long one this month, but we had a lot to get off our chests. We did. And we can look forward to February with renewed hope and optimism. Exactly. <laughs> so if you want to follow uh, any of us on Twitter, you can at MTH Simpson. Or at OGB Collins. Or you can follow our Twitter account at P Scousers, uh, which gets updated never. Uh, yeah, we're working on that. We're working on that. Well, we're still working on that. Um, you can find us on YouTube. Type Simpson and Collins into YouTube. You can find our channel there, where we've got all our videos and uh, we upload occasional highlights from various mm-hmm. podcasts. Uh, and please remember to like and subscribe on iTunes. Is it like you don't like on iTunes? You just subscribe on iTunes. Just subscribe, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You believe because, of course, you obviously subscribe to the podcast, Owen, because you listen every month. Hmm. Um, I do. Yeah, exactly. I don't think I subscribe. No, I just listen. You maybe need. I probably should. Yeah, yeah. Considering it's your podcast, you should probably subscribe to it. If it was, if it was arrogant, you know. <laughs> but yes, I would do that. Yes. And also give a uh, Kevin Keegan's massive vegetables to follow on Twitter as well. Yeah, at Keegan's Veg. I need to update that. Actually, I haven't done that in a while. Keegan's Veg. Um, but yeah, so lots of social medias for you to follow. Um, next month, I promise we'll be in a slightly cheerier mood. Um, uh, I'm not promising that. <laughs> no, 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 okay. Actually. Let's both we'll try and be in a cheerier mood. Um, but thank you very much for sticking with us. Uh, and until next month, uh, arrivederci. Arrivederci and goodbye. Oh, I am a Liverpoolian, and I come from the spy and cock. I love to sing. I love to shout, I get thrown out quite a lot. We support the team that's dressed in red. It's a team that you all know. It's a team that we call Liverpool. And to glory we will go. We won the league, we won the league.